out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you on this Monday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop here with you. B.J. Bennett not with us. We hope to have him back uh, tomorrow on the program. I think he overpartied from the uh, the London experience, uh, Ben, with the uh, with the Jags uh, actually winning a game uh, there. And so he'll be with us tomorrow on the program. But we got so much to get to here on the show, not to mention college football. We'll get to that in just a second. Uh, obviously, LSU is going to make a coaching change at the end of the year. We'll have to talk about that. Brooks Austin uh, is going to join us as he does each and every Monday, Dogs Daily on SI. Uh, here in hour number one, so looking forward to talking about that as Georgia continues to roll and now has two weeks off before the cocktail party. But Ben, uh, got to hit it because it's uh, just the way they won the last couple of nights in the NLCS. 2-0 and are the Braves against the Dodgers. They now go to L.A. Uh, tomorrow. They'll play tomorrow afternoon slash early evening. But walk-off fashion both nights. Uh, and I know Dodger fans are saying, oh, the Dodgers threw a bullpen game. On Monday or on a Saturday, and the Braves barely won. Well, who'd you throw last night? Max Scherzer. Braves still won uh, at the end of the day. So uh, Braves two and zero. Freddie Freeman awful in this series, and the Braves are still figuring out a way to win. Yeah, Kevin. I mean, that, that's got to give you the most um, <clears throat> confidence, right? Moving forward, if you this Braves team, knowing that okay, most of the time we talk about, you know, I said this last week, who's going to be the most important figure, uh, most important uh, player for this Braves uh, team in this uh, NLCS, and I said it was Freddie Free. For more than what he just brings uh, to the team as far as, like, his bat or his glove. But, what, eight plate appearances, seven strikeouts, haven't, have, hasn't been himself. But you understand that Freddie Freeman is a guy that's going to find a way to get it going. He's going to find a way to, you know, figure it out. But, Kevin, how much, how much confidence does it give you if you are a Braves fan saying to yourself, look, this Braves team has scratched and clawed all year long. They didn't have the type of recipe that most people have going into this season. They understood that. In order to win in the National League, you got to either be you got to be able to uh, play and win against these Dodgers. And how much did last year's NLCS Kevin kind of propel them to this year to saying, "Look, last year proved to us that we can play with these dudes." Yeah, they beat us, but while the Dodgers are obviously the best team in the National League, and that's that's nothing against these Braves, how much confidence have they built from this year to last year, even with the newcomers? You know, uh, you know, on the team like Soler and those guys, to know that look. We don't have to have our best effort, but we still find a way to win in, in dramatic fashion two games in a row. And dare I say, I know it's going back to L.A., but how much more pressure is this L.A. team on the North? There is no Kershaw coming out. And don't nobody win. And all these excuses after you lose game one. But like you said, what about game two? And dare I say, this Braves team is playing with a lot of confidence. Uh, and, and as they should be. And, again, Ben, they, they've won two games with Freddie Freeman having an awful series uh, at the plate. 0 for 8, 7 strikeouts. Struck out seven times in a row. Uh, that hasn't happened to him in a long, long time. I want to say it happened like 2013 or something. I mean, it's been a long time since Freddie Freeman's been this rough at the plate and the Braves are still winning. And, again, it's different guys. Austin Riley, who fans were on early in the season. Oh, is this the guy to answer at third base? Should you make a trade? Should you uh, figure out somebody else at third base? They're going to be there long term. And now uh, an MVP candidate uh, at the end of the day. And it's really picked up the slack. Had the game-winning hit on Saturday. Had the game-tying hit. On, uh, on Sunday, Ben, and look, this is a team that has been remade, and I think if you're a, a Braves fan, you say, man, this thing is looking to be uh, really good. Well, it is, but your starting outfield on the, op- on, on the opening day was, was it uh, Ronald Acuna, Marcelo Zuna, and I believe Ender Enciarte, none of whom are even able to play right now or not on the team anymore. So uh, that is a completely different outfield, and in, and in a lot of ways you've been better. 
Jock Peterson, former Dodger, didn't want to re-sign him or couldn't re-sign him, trying to keep their payroll in order, goes to Chicago. Braves made a trade uh, at the trade near the trade deadline to get Jock Peterson. What does he do? Hit one of the longest home runs you'll ever see at Truist Park. Uh, over the chop house, into the upper deck in, in right field, off of uh, Max Scherzer. Uh, so uh, all the moves, seemingly, uh, from an offensive standpoint, have come together to work out for the Braves. And... Uh, Ben, say some, say whatever you will. I guess we all are working on it. And y'all asked me this before the playoffs start and said, look, if Will Smith turns the corner and actually pitches well, do you owe an apology? Sure I do. Uh, yeah, and here he is in LCS, 2-0, ERA of zero, and getting the job done. I, that Look, what, what more can you ask for uh, out of Will Smith? And, again, I'd like for him to do it six more times. I feel real good about it. If he can do six more uh, that means the Braves are World Series champions. So, look, I I think what the Braves have done the last couple of days is nice. Now you got to go to L.A. and figure out a way to win a ball game where it's been awfully tough for Atlanta to do so. And uh, we talked to Ben Ingram last week, Ben. The, the history of the Braves going to Los Angeles is not good. And you'd like to say, well, hey, if you just win one, you know, kind of do it and like you would if you weren't the home team. Hey, we just need to win one and come back home. Well, if you just win one, then you're up three games to two with two games to play to try to win one game. So, uh, look, the Braves are off to a great start, and doing so without necessarily their best either. Uh, you know, Ian Anderson did not pitch very deep in that ball game; was not great. Had to go to the bullpen a lot last night. Braves did it. Clutch hitting late, got the win. So, for all the things you could say about the Dodgers, I think you can say some of that stuff about the Braves as well, Ben. And, uh, look, they've been been clutch in this series in a huge way. The starting pitching still uh, – or, excuse me, not starting pitching, but the pitching in general for a series of this caliber has still been pretty good. And I think I think uh, even that – I mean, when you think about Ian Anderson, uh, Kevin has been really, really good, uh, you know, last season, didn't, didn't pitch – didn't pitch as well, you know, last night. But think about this. When, you're, when your quote stars aren't aligning and you're still winning, that shows a sign of not a good team but a great team. If somebody would have told you that Freddie Freeman has had eight plate appearances and seven of them with strikeouts, you would think to yourself, oh, man, the Braves, they're probably struggling. No, because we forget who emerged this year. Austin Riley, he not just answered the bell. He said, look, I'm an MVP candidate. Forget just me uh, vowing to be the everyday third baseman. I am coming up. Huge. You talk about Solaire and those guys coming up. Huge. You talk about, and, and I think the sign of any good team is when the best players don't got to be at their best, but the, but the role players. Because when you hear the role, you hear the word role play, you think, oh, those guys don't do much. No, 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 no. They just play their roles better than anybody else. They they don't have to be Freddie Free. And I I will say that when you think about uh, a guy, Will Smith. Now, if Will Smith is playing the way he's playing, that got to give you a lot of confidence because Kevin goes back to fourth. In, in the MLB last year in saves. Now, we watched Will Smith night in and night out. Now, if you would have told us that, we would have been like, when? Like, when did that happen? But he was gaining confidence. And I will always say, guys want to show that they could be counted upon. Like, Will Smith knows, look, man, I'm the last guy you're going to see regardless of the game. I want, I'm, I'm, so I might as well get used to being in these present situations. And, Kevin, if I'm not, you know, uh, you know let me know if I'm, you know, uh, you know uh, incorrect about this. This is why he was brought here. I understand you had enough of a resume to bring you here to, to do it for this team. And now the regular season doesn't has no, I mean, it's hard to put the, put away the regular season when you're in the postseason. But Will Smith was trying to show these guys, look, man, if Ian Anderson isn't playing pitching well, you know, uh, you know, I mean, and you set up guys, you know, they they trying to bring me in to try to close this game out. And I do. And going back to LA two zero gives me a lot more. Uh, you know, confidence going back 1-1 or down 0-2. I know this. I know this. 
Dodgers team uh, don't want to go quietly into the night. And, hey, hey, Braves, look, y'all can just come back to uh, Atlanta already going to the World Series. Y'all don't have to make it, you know, give give up a game. But I, I just say this Braves team as a whole, top to bottom, might not be the most talented team left in these playoffs, but they might be the most dangerous when you think about the fact that if your best players, so to speak, aren't playing well and you still finding a way to win, uh, shout out to guys like Austin Riley and those guys finding a way to get it done. But yeah, Kevin, dare I say, watch out for them Braves, man, because I know them Dodgers fans, if you were on the Twitter sphere, they were, forget melting down, they took Twitter over. When you start blaming on the refs and all this other type of stuff, nope, because when they win, no excuses. So when they lose, you got to live with it. Shout out to them Braves up 2-0. Absolutely. Ben Anderson hit us up with a note. Ben, you are correct. I was trying to think way back. Christian Pache was the opening day starter wow. in center fielder. So that uh, – Mr. 24, the new Mr. 24? 25. 25. 25. Yeah, okay. I'm going to be – not he didn't say this, but you put on the Andrew Jones number. But, yeah, what a, uh, what a turn it's been. For that Braves uh, outfield. We got so much to get to in terms of that. Braves will play tomorrow in game three out in L.A. We'll have that for you uh, here, of course, full coverage tomorrow starting at 3.50 tomorrow afternoon. But college football never ceases to disappoint, Ben. Uh, Look, Georgia rolls once again over Kentucky. LSU has a new coach after a win, no less. Uh, LSU goes out, gets a nice win, and then the next day says, yeah, Coach O's not not going to be coming back there at LSU. Just some of the storylines that number two goes down in uh, in Iowa. So a, another busy weekend in college football. Our predictability, Kevin, isn't isn't that why we watch? We understand that the usual suspects of Georgia is going to you know is going to solidify themselves the number one team in the country with you know uh, you know Alabama. They bumps now. They lost the game. No, they they look they look really really good uh, this weekend as well. I mean you know you got golf balls being thrown at former coaches. You got you know you got you got coaches uh, coaches and. I mean, LSU and Coach Opo, uh, uh coming to an agreement. And now the LSU uh, head coach's job is up for grabs. But, hey, you know, Iowa goes down to the Boilermakers. Miami can't get a win. Florida got the – Florida, you know, 35-35 going into the fourth quarter, lose 49-42. So, Ty Grantham, fourth and Grantham is back up. Dan Mullen need to be fired. It's just it, – it's why we love college football because it's unpredictable. But, listen, unless you root for Georgia and unless you root for uh, Alabama, you was up up and down because Arkansas, the ship – the honeymoon might be over, Kevin, because Auburn laid that wood to them Arkansas <laughs> boys in, in a big-time way. But, uh, yeah – College football, a lot, lot, lot to get to when you talk about college football. But yes, the usual suspects at the top, you know, out, you know, Georgia still Georgia, Alabama still Alabama, and a lot of teams in the big in the uh, in the Big Ten in the top ten. That's gonna switch up uh, in a week or so. But yeah, that's why we love it. golf balls, uh, uh, new uh, yeah. coaches. Hey man, it's college football. <laughs> mustard, uh, mustard. I, I, like again, this is one of the things that I, I saw from the weekend. If, if you didn't see the uh, the Tennessee. Uh, Old Miss game, like fans were mad at a a close fourth down call that Tennessee didn't get on review. Ole Miss gets the ball back. Tennessee stops him anyways, gets the ball back with a chance to win. But on that call, Tennessee fans so mad they start throwing stuff on the field, including, as you said, a golf ball uh, that hits Lane Kiffin and a full bottle of, I guess it was a full bottle. I I still contend that maybe there wasn't even mustard in there to begin with. It was uh, used to sneak something else (laughs) into the stadium. But, yeah, a mustard uh, bottle found its way to the field. Where do these where do these folks find that kind of stuff to toss on the field? 
Uh, where do these folks find the time to even try to do these type of things? I finally go to a game. I'm trying to sneak a, a golf ball in and, and, a, and a mustard <laughs> bottle. But hey, listen, there's somebody out there really, 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 really dislikes Lane Kiffin, and he and they look. They made sure I'm gonna be walk. I'm gonna get my seats in the end zone, and he's gonna be walking in, and I'm gonna throw right at him. Now, Lane Kiffin definitely got 2020 vision. Had that been me after a big win like that, I would have got pelted uh, with that freaking uh, uh, mustard bottle. But Lane Kiffin caught it. You know, made it look like much. I mean, now. Whoever threw the golf ball got some serious aim. I mean, that is some serious aim. And hey, but but Lane Kiffin took it in stride. It only adds to the mystique of Lane Kiffin. Y'all are only making him more famous by doing these type of things. But Tennessee, listen, man. Outside of getting the loss, man, talk to your fan base, man. It's a lonely hot dog out there waiting on some mustard, and it's a lonely, and it's a lonely uh, freaking golf ride looking for us golf ball. But shout out to them old Miss boys, Lane Kiffin, finding a way to get it. And done. we've got more to come here on Three Dot. We're talking more SEC football when we come back. Also. Good to have you back here on this Monday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day. Wild weekend, as it always is, seemingly in the SEC. And again, so much to unpack with our next guest. You can uh, catch him uh, on the Locked On SEC uh, podcast, also on air in Houston on Sports Talk 790. Chris Gordy joins us here on 3 Now. Chris, welcome. How are you? What's going on, guys? Busy uh, week for me. I'm actually talking to you guys right outside Fenway Park up here in Boston. So, uh, yeah, I'm all over the place this time of year. Hey, hey, that's a great place to be for playoff baseball. You're there for Astros and Red Sox. But how surprised were you as a lot of folks, uh, LSU coming off a win in the, in the Sunday morning talking points is, so we're, we're going to not bring Coach O back next year, but he's going to stay and finish out the season. Yeah, it's a, it's a very unique, weird situation, right? I mean, it's, you know, like I, I can't remember an, an instance where it's been like this where you hold a press conference and now the guy is fired and then you tell him, all right, well, get back to work and we'll, uh, we'll see, you know, we'll keep this thing up till the end of the season. It's a really weird, unique situation. And I think what exacerbated it even more was, you know, when they asked Coach O about, you know, he talked to two recruits yesterday and they said, what are you telling recruits? He said, I'm telling them how great LSU is. Come play for LSU. They're going to they're gonna hire a great coach next behind me. And it's like, that's so weird. Like, I don't think we've ever seen something like this. So, um, you know, the, the interesting part is when you read the details about the buyout, he's going to be getting all the money that he has earned. Um, you know, he said he's going to take at least a year off from coaching and kind of reflect. And, you know, some of the, when you read some of the details, uh, they say, you know, Coach O's still going to have to kind of act as an ambassador for the school. And, it's unique because he does love LSU. He does love, uh, you know, everything about the school. It's just ultimately it didn't work out as him as the head coach anymore. So very strange, very unique circumstances. But I would say this, for teams like Ole Miss and Alabama next up on the schedule for LSU, it's a dangerous situation because this guy's playing with house money now. He's, he gets paid no matter what, knows he's gone no matter what. So why not empty out the kitchen sink? You want to run trick plays? You want to do crazy things? Why not try to go get some wins? And Chris, how much how much did that narrative have to change? Because obviously Florida didn't do their part and get the win on Saturday, even though they did come out and say, "Listen, we we uh, we uh, you know decided to mutually uh, you know part ways." But in a sense, are is LSU trying to reshape how we look at kind of coach firings or separations? Because fifteen to zero can't do much better than that. But are they saying, "Look, because of this uh, early signing period, let's try to go ahead and try to." If we're going to get rid of a coach, get rid of him now. That way we can still try to salvage maybe this recruiting class. Yeah, I think that is part of it. And like we said, you know, nobody, nobody represents the, the brand of LSU or just you know, the, the recruiting face of it better than Coach O. And so 
you know, who better than him to sell people on, look, I'm selling you on the school. I'm selling you on wearing the purple and gold and running out in Death Valley. You know, yeah, I'm not going to be the head coach here, but whoever they hire is going to be a good coach. So it's a unique situation. I don't know if we'll ever see this type of situation again. I know Scott Woodward, when he was at Washington, he respected Ty Willingham enough to wait to the end of the season to fire him. But I think the writing was on the wall here. Like, had they tried to play the charade of, oh, we don't know, we're going to talk about O's future at the end of the season, I think everybody was, it was going to leak out that he was going to be fired and all that. So this kind of takes the awkwardness out of it. It takes the song and dance out of it of just, oh, we'll see what happens at the end of the season. No, they've already made the announcement. We're moving on no matter what happens the rest of the way. We'd love to see Coach O go out on a high note and win some more games, upset some teams. But, yeah, this, I, I just don't know if we'll ever see this, this kind of situation again. Chris, obviously, as you said, a strange situation there. And uh, how nervous are the folks in your home neck of the woods there uh, back around the Houston area? Because now there's an opening and Jimbo Fisher at one point had said, hey, LSU's that dream gig I would love to have. Yeah, I think the Alabama win kind of solidifies him. I think had he lost that game, I think a lot of folks at A&M would have been saying, hey, maybe it's a better thing to part ways here because that would have been three straight losses. It would have been – you know, basically spiraling quickly. I think that win over Saban and, and Alabama solidifies him as, you know, a top-tier coach, and I think A&M's excited about the future there. I know the big headline is he doesn't have a buyout, and so he could, you know, leave whenever he wants. But I think he, I think he's happy at A&M. I think he's going to stay there. I'm sure LSU will sniff around on him, but I, I think A&M's – I think Jimbo's staying put at A&M. Chris, a lot of big names out there for the LSU coaching job, but – Talk about how unique this coaching job has become. I mean, Nick Saban won the national championship. Les Miles won the national championship. And then when you look at Coach O, 15-0 won the national championship. I mean, every coach they've had up until this point has won the national championship. How much greater or how much harder is uh, the head coach at LSU? But how intriguing is that uh, LSU as a, as a destination? Well, the one thing nobody wants to talk about with, with college football coaches is all these guys have egos. They all think – they're, they're, none of them are afraid of any circumstance. They all think they can go somewhere and go undefeated and win big. So I don't think anybody's going to be scared off by the pressures of the job. But, you know, somebody said a few weeks ago, they said, man, LSU's really going to have to make the right hire here. They're really going to have to hit the, hit the lottery. And somebody else said, no, they really don't. Because when you look back at it, the last three coaches have all won championships there. So it's, you know, it seems like anybody, you and I, Ben, you could step in and maybe win a championship at LSU. So it seems like whoever they hire is going to have a great opportunity to do so. But, yeah, I mean, it, it comes with that, the pressure. You can't have mediocre years. Everybody was like, okay, you know, five and five year last year in the, in the pandemic year, we're willing to give you a pass, but you better turn around next year. And that's what happened this year. It didn't. They, they lost it to UCLA. They blew a game late to, uh, to Auburn, and then they got blown out on the road to Kentucky, I think, most people are looking back at it and going, you're, you're 9-8 and eight now since you won that championship, and that's just not the standard that LSU holds for themselves. So, um, yeah, it, it comes with a lot of pressure. It comes with a lot of responsibility. But, hey, the odds are pretty good. You might win a championship while you're the head coach here because the last three, go- three guys all did it. Chris Gordy hooked on SEC Podcast. Joining us here on 3 and Out. And, Chris, you look at uh, Georgia dominating again against Kentucky, setting up for a showdown with Florida, who struggled again uh, this past weekend. Uh, what do you see there in Jacksonville in two weeks, uh, or is that not going to be a traditional cocktail party there in, in Jacksonville? I, I know George, I know Florida has not looked right for much of this season. They've been very Jekyll and Hyde. One week they look good, one week they don't. But I think all that goes out of the window against Georgia. It's a rivalry game for a reason. 
Uh, we saw Kentucky was able to do some things successfully in it. I say some things because it was just some things, but they were able to find the end zone twice, and that's something nobody's been able to do against this Georgia team all season. So, you know, I think slowly but surely some teams are trying to find what we could do offensively to score some points on Georgia. That said, this Georgia defense is, is ridiculous. I mean, they may be one of the best in recent history in college football, but I'm not – I mean, if we could, it would be easy to just say Georgia's going to blow out Florida in two weeks, but it's a rivalry game for a reason. Dan Mullen's a good play caller. He's a good uh, – no schemer. I just wonder who's going to be the quarterback because what we saw Emory Jones make some mistakes early in this game. Anthony Richardson, when, when he came in the second half against LSU, he, he started leading him right down the field. And I wonder if Dan Mullen and the coaching staff is going to look at that and say, maybe we are better served rolling with Anthony Richardson as the starter. And Chris, how, how crazy could this game actually become? It just okay if you know Georgia obviously is all world, and you th- you look at you look at this uh, this defense. Florida finds Florida finds a way to get a big win. It's all forgiven for Dan Mullen, or is it just the fact that Dan Mullen, who has a really good resume but hasn't won an SEC championship, you know, and obviously what the third or fourth highest paid coach in the SEC right now? What is it going to take for him to get back in the good graces of these Gator fans? Well, a win over Georgia would certainly help. But, uh, you know, short of that, man, I don't know if there's much he can do the rest of the way this year. Um, you know, and, and that's one thing I've always been critical on Mullen was, you know, as good as he did at Mississippi State, it was limited. I mean, even when he had Dak Prescott, they still never won the SEC West. They never got to Atlanta. And, you know, granted, he had the ties to Florida. He had been there before, and everybody was excited. But, man, last year was – and the first time they get to Atlanta, and obviously we, we know what happened in that game, and the, the playoff was already out of the, out of the picture. But, man, I, if I'm a Florida Gator fan, I start scratching my head going, man, if, if, if you know, this year's already out, then what about next year? What about the year after? And are we going to be in a four- or five-year tailspin in Florida going, man, is this guy ever going to win the SEC East and ever going to get us to the college football playoff? I think that's what the standard should be for Florida. And right now, I don't know if Dan Mullen's ever going to get him there. Chris Gordy, Hooked on SEC uh, Podcast, joining us here on 3 and Out. And, Chris, just something fun as we enter the back half of the season. But uh, Kentucky now has a loss. Georgia certainly their biggest test in the East. Ole Miss has already played Alabama. If Alabama beats Georgia, if they meet in the SEC Championship game, what's the possibility you could be looking at maybe four SEC teams or maybe three SEC teams with just one loss at the end of the year? Yeah, I think the most intriguing one is if Kentucky and Ole Miss both run the table. I think at this point, what we're looking at is if we get an SEC title game with a one-loss Bama versus an undefeated Georgia, Bama can win that game. I think Georgia and Bama are both in. But if Georgia wins, and that gives Alabama their second loss, obviously Bama's out of the picture. The question becomes, I don't think Kentucky or Ole Miss will have a good enough resume to get to the playoff, but certainly it'll be a toss-up between who goes to a New Year's Six Bowl between those two programs. So, I mean, you're right. A lot is on the line. I think if you're Greg Sankey and the, and the commissioner's office, you're rooting for Georgia to run the table, and then you're rooting for Alabama to you know, have the one loss into, the, into Atlanta, beat Georgia in a close game, and both Georgia and Bama get into the, get into the uh, college football playoff, and then one of Kentucky or Ole Miss gets into a New Year's Six Bowl. And, Chris, I mean, I know it's all about Georgia right now. Definitely, uh, you know, hands down the best team in the country. But since that loss, by Alabama, nobody's really talking about Alabama. They getting it done, been getting it done on offense. Defense seems to be playing well. How dangerous is the Crimson Tide when kind of nobody's really talking about them right now? Yeah, they're still real dangerous. This last week was a get-right game. They look more like the Alabama team we've become accustomed to. Seven sacks on Will Rogers. 
couple of interceptions, held the Mike Leach air raid offense without a touchdown in the game, held them to just three field goals. So, yeah, Alabama definitely got right this past week. And Will Anderson has been a monster, four sacks this past week. And the defense looked much more like them, themselves the week after getting beat up by the a run game. So, yeah, it looks like Bama's kind of right in the ship here. And, you know, I know they gave up a lot of run yards to, to Florida, found a way to get the win. I know they lose on the field goal at A&M, but – I, I would not be surprised if Alabama writes the ship, runs the table, and they end up getting into the playoff here. Chris Gordy, Hooked on SEC Podcast, our guest here on 3 Now. Chris, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Yeah, check out uh, LockedOnSEC.com, guys, for anything uh, for our podcast. Great segment a couple days ago with our buddy uh, Ben Troop right there. Yeah, Locked on SEC. Chris, uh, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Chris Gordy joining us, Locked on SEC. Good to have you back here on this Monday. Georgia just keeps right on rolling along. A big win over Kentucky this past weekend. They stay undefeated. Now the week off before the cocktail party. Our next guest joins us every Monday here on the show from Dogs Daily on SI. Brooks Austin joins us. Brooks, how are you? I'm doing well, gentlemen. How are you? Ben, are you in a mall? Where are you at? Hey, listen, listen. I'm at, I'm at an undisclosed location. <laughs> you, 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 would, you would, I would like to call this a mall. Uh, Brooks, but uh, where I am right now, um, I would call it a place where people congregate to eat good food that their wife would not cook for them. So that, I'm just leaving it down. They, they, I was about to say they got a Cinnabon. Yes. So the, oh, they, they got a Cinnabon. Then you, you definitely no, 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 I tell you that right. If you ever in my neck of the woods, just look at me. I'm gonna say it's edible, Austin. I hope you got a, hope you got a sound stomach. <laughs> Well, Brooks, uh, certainly uh, something that's been eaten. Oh, well, that's a horrible transition. It's a Georgia defense, but they did it again uh, to uh, to Kentucky. Uh, and, again, say what you want about the offense. They, I guess a slow start for them, but defense up until the very end of the game really did what they've done all season long. Yeah, I mean, the, the game plan for Kentucky was rather simple. Um, it was, hey, can we just survive to third and medium and then – Hey, if we if we went on third and five, we win that drive. But we have to do it like twelve times to do it. Um, I, I ran some stats today. Kentucky was six for eight on third down, less than five. So third and five or less, they were six of eight. The problem was five of those six came on one or two drives rather. So their two scoring drives, they actually got into their game plan situations where they wanted to be third and four, third and five. They converted a lot. The rest of the game, they were two for 11 on third down because they were facing a lot of third and longs. So that's what it's going to require at this point to score on this defense. You're going to have to get into a bunch of manageable situations on third down, third and two to third and five. And you got to convert on daggum near all of them to put up enough points to score. And I think the other thing was that, you know, Kentucky just tried to suffocate the football. They just tried to take the air out of the ball as much as they could. I think they ran, I'm, I'm looking at 93 snaps, 94 snaps from Kentucky to Georgia's 50 offensively. So they ran a lot of plays on Saturdays. Now, granted, most of those came in that last drive. They had 22 plays on an 11-minute drive in the fourth quarter. Now, Brooks, man, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about that last drive. I, I, I understand that when it comes to football, just like – Every other sport, you got unwritten rules. Game's over. Look, man, kneel down on the ball. I understand, like, because they understand that some of us are just box score watchers. Most people don't watch the game. They go straight to the box score. But, yeah. you know, the last thing you want to do, thank God it was the end of the game. Had it been another quarter, it probably would have got <laughs> ugly for them. But just talk about that sequence of understanding, you know, that long drive, you know, uh, calling the timeout to get the touchdown. I understand trying to build uh, momentum for the next game, but that was a little bit ridiculous at that point. 
No, here, here's what I think it was, Ben, and, and I talked about this today on my show. Situational football has never been more important. Like how, how you are in pivotal moments, how you are in pivotal situations in a football game have never been more important in college football. And I promise you, mark my words, there will be a moment at some point in this season where Kentucky gets the ball back in the fourth quarter with 11 minutes left and they're up three points and coach walks into the huddle and says, Guys, we got to go on an eight-minute, nine-minute drive, score a touchdown, put this into a two-score game, give them the ball back with a minute left, and we win this football game. And he can look at those guys now and say, look, you've gone on a 22-play drive, 75 yards, uh, and scored against the nation's number one defense in the fourth quarter. By the way, with all of their starters on the field, Georgia wasn't pulling no punches. Adam Anderson and Nolan Smith were on the on the, on the the goal line gutting it out, trying to keep them out of your end zone. So – you now have that. Like, Kentucky can tell their players, we've done that. If we need an eight-minute drive, middle of the fourth quarter, we can summon it. We can go get it. We can win a football game late in the season. Those things are important. That's how you build a culture of actual success, football success at Kentucky of all places. It's doing things like Mark Stoops did on Saturday when everybody just thinks it's for Nolan Boyd. No, it's for a purpose. It's for culture. It's for confirmation of culture. That's exactly what it's for. Brooks Austin joining us here on uh, 3 Down. And Brooks, uh, obviously now we get ready for uh, the cocktail party. Stetson been in another solid game. Uh, what's the decision now heading into the bye week in regards to the starting quarterback? I know you have some thoughts on it, but, I mean, you had one guy that's played well for, what, two, three weeks now, another guy that by the time you get to Jacksonville would not have played in nearly a month. Yeah, if look, I've, I've been covering Georgia for three years now, and they still – for two of those years, they had Jake Fromm. There was no quote-unquote quarterback controversy. And I, I don't know what Kirby's going to do, will do, wants to do, thinks about doing when it comes to the quarterback position. I can tell you more about what Kirby does defensively, schematically, uh, cultural fit, than maybe a lot of people in my position. What I cannot do is explain to you what in the heck Kirby Smart thinks he's going to do with quarterback. So I don't know. But to me, I think it all boils down to whether or not JT Daniels is healthy. And I still think, up until the Florida game, you got a bye week. If he's not healthy by Florida, then I think you start making plans to go elsewhere and continue going elsewhere. But if he's healthy against Florida, he starts and he plays. That's what I think. Brooks, when you think about a guy like Stetson Bennett, you know, it's always, yeah, he's good, but or he's good, however. Is he the best fit for this team, though? I understand that JT Daniels preseason hype, five-star, <laughs> the big arm. But every time Stetson is in, the offense just clicks better. You look at you look at the uh you look at the you know uh like the rapport he has with these tight ends and just the offense itself. I get what JT could do, but availability is your greatest ability in all sports. And last time I checked, Stetson is available. So what is it about Stetson that people are kind of apprehensive about outside of the fact that he's just not a big guy? Well, I, I think it's that when, even when Stetson plays like relatively well and they win football games. They still win them how they did last Saturday, right? I mean, yeah, he was 14 for 20 for 250. Um, but there was a lot of plays being made around him, not necessarily by him, if that makes sense. So, like, everybody wants the flashy quarterback. And, and part of it was because they were sold. I made, I made the comparison to this, Ben. Back in 2000, and uh, I think it was one or 2002, they released the reincarnated version of the PlayStation 1 and the PlayStation 2 within, like, two months of each other. 
So you get this brand new fancy PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2. And all the kids were asked for, for Christmas were asking for the PlayStation 2. Give me the PlayStation 2. Give me the PlayStation 2. All offseason, Georgia fans have been told about JT Daniels. He's going to be great. Heisman hopeful. You get into the season, and mom didn't buy you the PlayStation 2. You didn't get it for Christmas. But you got the reincarnated PlayStation 1, and it still runs kind of good, and it's all right. But it's not got that mega processor that you were told about. It doesn't have the great graphics ID card and, and, and graphics card that you were told about. But it's still good. And instead of being ungrateful and saying, no, we can win a national championship with this guy. We can we can play a bunch of good games with this PlayStation 1. You want to be, you know, a little bit, you know, vi- yeah, you got some vitriol towards that other PlayStation because you wanted the nice fancy one that you've been promised all year. And I think that's what people are going through. He's a, he's a good football player. He's a really good college quarterback. That's what he is. And again, Brooks, you said JT Daniels healthy. You think he should be the starter. Is there some impetus for JT Daniels to get out there, not only for his team, but selfishly? I mean, are you talking about if he can't play another game or two, all the stuff about NFL and all that, might he have to come back again when there's not enough game tape? Oh, I think think whether or not JT Daniels is coming back, and I don't mean to throw this grenade in the middle of the show as I'm leaving, but what, what makes people think JT Daniels is going to the NFL this year? Why, why, who, who's out here talking about JT Daniels as a top five quarterback prospect right now in 2022? Nobody. Matt, we're talking Matt Corral. We're talking Desmond Ritter. We're talking about the kid from Nevada. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of quarterbacks that are Keaton Slovis, the guy that beat him out at SC. There are a lot of quarterbacks that are getting talked about in the NFL. Malik Willis from Liberty. There's a lot of names that come up before JT Daniels' names come up and, He's got four, three games on tape this year, and they were him pretty banged up. He's got four games on tape from the year ago. His largest sample size is from 2018. Who, who, who out here think of JT Daniels just going up and going to the draft this year? That, that's not guaranteed. Matter of fact, it's leaning more towards the other way. He's probably going to be back next year, I would think. Let's talk about a guy who uh, is definitely going to be back next year because he's too young to go pro, and that is Brock Bowers. I mean, the young – my goodness, every every week he's making a flash play, running away from defenders, looking like, you know, I mean, the, the kid can just flat out do it all. Just talk about how not only is him being, uh, you know, the number one receiver right now, but how 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 high of a ceiling does this young man have? So, Ben, I, I think this is a great thing. And you played the position, so I'm sure you've loved the maturation of the position. Guys, Brock Bowers is just one of these next, like, thousand of these that are coming. The the tight end position, more more so than any other position in the modern spread offense, has been completely rejuvenated. It's completely different. No longer, like, yeah, Darnell Washington's of the world are fun. Brock Bowers' of the world are going to cause cause everyone problems. Everyone problems. 6'5", 240, 4'5", 40, 42-inch vertical. Who or what guards that? And that's what teams have getting put into. And now you run 11 personnel, you spread everybody out, and you can guarantee that specimen a one-on-one matchup with somebody. Or better yet, the way Munkin does it, you can design that football player what we call a yak opportunity, a yard-after-the-catch opportunity. Think about how many screen plays, slip screens, reverses, things like that that they've ran with Brock Bowers this year. You know, that's what I love about Todd Munkin. You know exactly what he thinks or who he thinks a player is by the way in which he designs shots up for that player. And the way he's designing plays up for Brock Bowers right now is, here, son, here's the ball. Go make everyone else look less good than you are, and you're a freshman in college. That's insane. It's And it's only going to get worse. 
for college defenses everywhere else because he's going to get better. He's 19 years old. Guys, he was playing in Napa Valley, California last year this time. <laughs> Napa Valley. Ben, have you ever played with, heard about, or even thought about Napa Valley, California football? Sounds, sounds, like, sounds like they got real good wine there. That's what it sounds <laughs> like. I've never had it, but that's what they it sounds do. like. They do. No ballers. Yeah. Mark Bowers is the one and only. I was just say they got one baller. They apparently. got one baller. Last name Bowers. <laughs> yeah. So he, he's a baller. The, the one and only. I mean, history broken, history set, history ain't never going to be repeated probably out of Napa Valley. Brooks Austin joining us here. Brooks, we got about a minute left. I know we got uh, next week to talk about this as well, but you have the off week before uh, the cocktail party. Georgia's played uh, really well on defense, and you hear the talk from Gainesville, Emory Jones, Anthony Richardson. Does it matter uh, for Georgia who, who quarterbacks that thing at this point? I mean, I, th- I think it definitely matters. You've you got to sustain offense like we talked about earlier. But if you're going to take shots at all against this Georgia defense, you're only going to be get about one or two of them per game. And you got to have somebody that can actually see them and hit them. Um, most importantly, hit them. I mean, Dan Mullen's good enough to draw them up. You got to have somebody that can hit them. I like Anthony Richardson's skill set more than Emory Jones. That is no shot at Emory Jones. I just think one guy provides a level of uh, unscriptedness, some creativity about him, um, some specialness about him. Um, same way that Bo Nix has, that's just like freaky, never know when it's going to happen, may go really, really great, may go poorly. You've got to bet on things might go great against Georgia this year, um, which means you got to take gambles like playing Anthony Richardson, in my opinion. Brooks Austin, Dogs Daily on SI. Brooks, always a pleasure. We'll talk to you next week. See you, gentlemen. Y'all be good. Appreciate it. Brooks Austin joining us here on 3 and Out Georgia. Rolls over Kentucky. Now they get the two weeks off uh, before, or the week off, before you get into the uh, the Florida game. And obviously, we talked about Stetson versus JT Daniels. He said if JT Daniels is healthy, he plays. Florida's got some quarterback questions of, uh, I say more than Georgia has, but Florida's got quarterback questions of their own getting ready for this game. Yeah, and I think you kind of saw what, you know, uh, Stetson Bennett has his shot last year against Georgia last year. And coming out of the game, it was, what if we had JT Daniels? If JT Daniels is healthy? Because it's the biggest recruiting weekend for Florida and Georgia, JT Daniels will definitely get the start. We've got more to come here. Three and out on the intended. Good to have you back here on Three and Out. We'll chat with Matt Smith, SouthernPigskin.com. We'll talk a little SEC football with him. We'll take three next hour as well. So coming up in the final hour of the show, we'll do our good, the bad, and the ugly, Ben. We've had a lot of fun doing that uh, each and every Monday here on the show, and certainly a lot of candidates for all three of those categories uh, coming up uh, as well. Didn't want to take a minute, though, uh, quickly, Ben, while we have a minute, and uh, put it out there again. Uh, big story now out of uh, Savannah. Folks looking for uh, former Benedictine and Georgia Southern football player Wesley Kennedy. Uh, last seen near uh, I-16, I-95, about 4 a.m. Uh, possibly. Uh, no positive ID made there, but uh, obviously uh, parents have reached out, concerned that he wasn't acting like himself and has not been seen from since uh, yesterday. So if you are out and about in Savannah and you happen to see, please call uh, the police. Do not let him uh, out of your sight. Call the police and uh, help out with uh, – with the search there, and uh, certainly he's a young man that Ben I I covered back at his time at, at BC, and certainly moving forward uh, to Georgia Southern. Yeah, I mean, uh, oh man, heartbreaking story. I saw it, you know, uh, this morning when I was looking at it on the Twitter sphere, and I yeah, we we wishing that uh, we hoping that he is all right. Uh, 
John Wesley Kennedy, as you mentioned, uh, former Benedictine cadet, and I played for the Georgia Southern Eagles. We hope, praying for his family, praying that he is safe, praying that he that uh, he is found. Because, like I said, certain things trump football and sports and anything. And we are hoping that John Wesley Kennedy, wherever you are, man, listen, we're praying for you, man. We love you, man. We hope that you are found safe and sound. Well, certainly. We've got more coming back uh, in hour number two. This is Three and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. We'd love to hear from you on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. Good to have you back here. Three and out, hour two. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, thanks for making us a part of your day. Plenty to get to still on the show. We'll take three coming up in just a little bit. Also, the good, the bad, the ugly, as we do every Monday. We'll have that coming in the final hour of the program. But joining us here from SouthernPigskin.com, covers the SEC, Matt Smith joins us. Matt, welcome. How are you? Hey, guys. I'm uh, doing well. I have a group of Buffalo Bills fans in the house next to me in town for the football game tonight, and I'm thinking they're about to get rowdy, so I'm keeping my eye out for some uh, table jumping in the next couple hours, but uh, other than that, I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> well, Matt, Tennessee is, you know, the, has been like the, the center of a lot of just wild stuff, like Vanderbilt almost won an SEC game. Tennessee has you know, turned a football game into, uh, you know, a, a, a cup-tossing contest. I mean, there's been kind of all kind of weird stuff happening in Tennessee lately. Uh, it certainly was. That was uh, perhaps unlike any other on Saturday night here in Knoxville, or not here in Knoxville, but in Knoxville. Um, certainly a, an ugly display from the fans. I get the, the pent-up frustration between all the factors that went into that, being Lane Kiffin coming back home, 10 or 15 years of not having much success, a long day of tailgating, a long night, um, at least one bad call that probably did not go Tennessee's way that shouldn't have. Um, but boy, what a mess that was! And and we'll see how Tennessee handles it. They got a few weeks until their next home game. Um, will there be alcohol limitations? Will there be student section limitations? I don't know. But um, expect some swift and severe reaction from that because you can uh, you can middle finger all you want, you can f bomb all you want. Uh, you can't do what they did that crossed the line. That was a mess um, and a bad book for the SEC, for Tennessee, and for college football as a whole for sure. And man, how much does this add to the? You know, the already legend there is of uh, Lane Kiffin in Tennessee when you think about how everything ended. Yes, the call didn't go their way, but the fact, you know, he catching bottles, walking off the field, uh, you know, golf balls being thrown at him, and whoever threw that golf ball, they might be in the wrong profession. I am not a proponent of violence, but that is some serious aim, ladies and gentlemen. But how does this add to the legend already there is of Lane Kiffin in Tennessee? Yeah, certainly not uh, one of Joe Milton's family members that threw that ball or to probably landed closer to midfield than uh, where it did right next to Lane Kiffin. Um, but, yeah, it's just it's kind of weird to me that it's been, hey, it's been 12 years, get over it. He, he went to USC. It's not like he went to Florida or Georgia or a rival. Um, that's a top five job in the country by most, by all accounts, someone who's worked there, um, won national championships there. So I don't know why they can't get over that. Obviously, Kiffin kind of plays into it with his social media stuff and, and was having some fun all week and has been really ever since he got back in the SEC a number of years ago at Alabama. But it's just weird to me. And I think, you know, as I listed, there are other factors going into that, of course, the kick time, the, the lack of success, the early probably bad call they got on the, on the Matt Corral fumble that was blown dead. So I get some of that. But uh, it's just wild to me that one person, one coach who had one reasonably decent season um, but not great by any Andrews Tennessee football has said over the years can have that much influence over a, a fan base like that. But 
obviously other factors went into that, but uh, just weird that all that came to a boil in that type of fashion. Really hard to process as it was happening on Saturday night. Uh, certainly, and, and Matt, uh, speaking of uh, of Lane Kiffin, as you said, having a heck of a season with Ole Miss. Is it uh, is it feasible that they sit here at the uh, the end of the year at eleven and one with their only loss being to Alabama? And how do people view that if that's your only loss on the docket? Sure. I mean, it's possible. We've seen 11-1 non-division SEC team, you know, be in the playoff conversation and, and get in before with Alabama, but that loss was so one-sided. They're not going to have a, a great non-conference win. Their SEC East games are Tennessee and Vanderbilt, so probably no one better than maybe 7-5 or 6-6 six and six Tennessee team. So probably not going to be a lot of meat on that bone, barring some really impressive performances here. Uh, kind of in their season-defining stretch the next few weeks with LSU and Auburn and, and Texas A&M. So they probably do have the best player in the in the country, at least the most important player in the country um, right now in Matt Corral. So that certainly benefits them, and they'll get some eyeballs here in these coming weeks with those uh, spotlight division games. So I guess it's possible, certainly other factors as well. Um, I think Cincinnati probably would still be ahead of them in that scenario, just a hunch, but um, – you're going to need help from elsewhere. But I think that what helps them is their brand and the coach and the quarterback. Um, I think what hurts them is probably going to be the resume, again, with the loss being so ugly as it was, even to a team like Alabama. Didn't do a whole lot in the non-conference um, with Louisville not looking like anything better than probably a 6-6, six and 7-5 six, and five team. So they got a shot. Long way to go there. Um, but just keep stacking wins. And, uh, you know, maybe you get a – Eight and four, nine and three. Auburn team beat them in Jordan Hare impressively. That could look pretty good. Um, I'd be skeptical of those chances, but certainly wouldn't want to rule it out at this point. And Matt, I mean, uh, obviously, <clears throat> my Gators didn't get the memo that they, you know they're supposed to make the narrative easier after the game to go ahead and get rid of, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, Coach O. But then, have you ever seen anything like what's going on in LSU right now with Coach O and LSU seemingly deciding to separate, go ahead, and even though he's going to coach the rest of the season? That was bizarre last night, watching him and Scott Woodward's press conference. Ben, that was – I've never seen something like that, particularly to get fired the day after a win over a rival and a team you really hate. Um, but you could hear from Ordron's comments leading up to the game that he knew it was over. It was just a matter of time. I thought it was possible. It could happen yesterday with a loss. Um, just because, oh, well, we're going to do it during the bye week, but what if we somehow turn around and, and beat Ole Miss and then – that looks really dumb, but apparently they didn't think it looked that dumb because they won a game and then they did the next day. So the outcome was not surprising. The timing was certainly surprising that it all went down, but I think they were ready to do it on Sunday, and probably the LSU brass and Scott Woodward did not see that performance um, from this LSU team, and, and why would they, given the way they played at Kentucky last week's ago, and it looks like they were kind of checked out, most of their star players um, suffering injuries and probably not coming back this year with Derek Stingley. Eli Ricks, Keishon Butte. It was hard for that uh, that performance from LSU to, to all come together, but uh, Florida certainly helped them out with a very bad defensive effort and kind of a curious uh, quarterback rotation from Dan Mullen, who still not doesn't seem to be quite sure how he wants to handle that, even though it's mid-October. So uh, yeah, but that watching last night, just some of the comments they were making, it all seemed kind of surreal. On top of the fact that this guy went 15 and 0 and won a national title 21 months ago to just be out that quickly, even though we've seen it. Uh, 10 years ago with Gene Chizik in, in this conference. Just bizarre. It was the only way I could think watching some of that press conference. Yeah, cer- certainly strange. Matt Smith joining us here at SouthernPigskin.com. And, Matt, uh, speaking of that Florida team, obviously a tough loss there. Dan Mullen's going to get a lot of criticism uh, coming out of that ball game. But now they got two weeks to figure out a team that no 
nobody's been able to figure out in the Georgia Bulldogs. Sure, and it's if there's one guy who I think can come up with a game plan to maybe get into the 20s against this defense, it, it probably is Mullen. But does he have the personnel on the defensive side of the ball to make that even be enough? I think Florida is good enough to put Georgia in a position where making some crucial and significant mistakes could cost them the game, if that makes sense. I don't think there's any other team on Georgia's schedule where even if Georgia gives you a C or a D game, they're at risk of losing. I think with what we've seen from Mullen in the past, he put together a really nice game plan against Alabama. Um, This is a tougher task for Florida's offense, but I think, again, he's probably one of the few coaches um, with the talent he has on offense, not the talent he had last year, but still a decent amount of pieces to work with there to maybe, again, maybe get in the low 20s against this defense. Will that be enough to win? Probably not. They'll need some help from Georgia, and this team is just not making mistakes. You know, They're not doing anything really eye-popping on offense, but they're just incredibly efficient, just getting five, six, seven yards on the ground. Uh, Stetson Bennett has a, a really great target with the emergence of Brock Bowers there at tight end, and probably the the piece this Georgia offense really needed to uh, to take to the next level was that quality tight end play that they're getting from Bowers so early in his career. So I think I'll just leave it at that, that if Georgia makes some significant and critical mistakes, I think Mullen, despite what we saw Saturday, which for all intents and purposes is a disaster on both sides of the ball, um, could put Georgia in a position where they could lose, and no one else until they see probably Alabama will be able to do that. But just given Mullen's track record, I still think he can figure something out over the next 12 days uh, to potentially make the cocktail party at least interesting. And, Matt, I mean, how similar is these quarterback situations when you're talking about Georgia and Florida? Obviously, <clears throat> if JT Daniels is healthy, he's going to play, even though I think Stetson Bennett is the better player for this offense. And you, you talked about the situation with Emory Jones and uh, Anthony Richardson. How similar are these two situations with uh, Florida? Anthony Richardson obviously makes the offense go, but so much loyal to being shown to Emory Jones. And if JT Daniels is healthy, Stetson Bennett is going to have to watch uh, in two weeks from now. Yeah, they're kind of maybe inverses of each other in that the day one starters, Daniels, I think he's more of the higher ceiling, potentially lower floor guy. I think Bennett, you kind of know what you're getting. He's played really steady. Again, that offense, despite not being overly explosive, is just incredibly efficient in their numbers. And then I think with Florida, I think it's kind of the reverse, where Richardson might be the guy who has the higher ceiling, certainly in the passing game. Um, but is more prone to potentially some damaging mistakes. You know, really ugly interception there that kind of ended that game um, for for the Gators on Saturday. So I think there's par- parallels there, but it's kind of the inverse in that the number two guy is more um, of the balanced, efficient player in Stetson Bennett, while Florida is the one who can maybe take this offense up a level. Um, but if it goes wrong, it could be more catastrophic than you're getting with a guy than a guy with Jones you at least know can be effective as a runner. So, yeah, I think there are some parallels there, but kind of inverse based on the two guys who started the season and how these situations have evolved over the last six or seven weeks. Matt Smith, SouthernPigskin.com. Joining us here on 3 and Out. Matt, we're on the uh, the back half of the college football season. I know you enjoy doing these. I'll say it like that. Uh, but given what we've seen the first half of the season, are there doors open in the college football playoff or at the end of the day, is it still going to be three, maybe four of, of names we're highly familiar with in a mysterious slide by Cincinnati? Yeah, I mean, I think the most interesting 
um, thing to play out will be what goes on in the Big Ten East. Now, I think Michigan is probably not at Ohio State's level, but I think they're as real as probably real, realer than they were a couple years ago when they were a top five team and, and went to Columbus late in the season and got absolutely slaughtered. Um, I think they're legit. I think Penn State with a healthy Sean Clifford is pretty good. Um, obviously, things went completely south for them when he left the game against Iowa. So with that round, Michigan State, I really have no idea what they are, but they keep winning games. So um, they deserve the same credit Iowa was getting a week or two back. And we'll see as that round robin kicks off, I believe, between the four teams next weekend uh, with Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State, Ohio State. So I think that'll be interesting to see who emerges there. It's going to be tough now for the Big Ten to get two teams in probably with Iowa losing. The only situation there would be a one-loss Iowa beating an undefeated Michigan or Michigan State. Uh, So I think that certainly helps um, the SEC's chances to get two teams in, which we think is, I would say, all but a guarantee if an 11-1 Alabama beats a 12-0 Georgia. I think both of those teams are fine, regardless of what goes on elsewhere with Oklahoma and Cincinnati. So, yeah, could this cycle back to where we have – you know, the, four, the the core five, we had to start the season. Obviously, Clemson's out, but would it go back to being Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and, and Oklahoma? Yeah, it's possible. Uh, I think we're all ready for some new blood in there. Cincinnati's probably the best contender, but I think the Big Ten East also, with a Penn State, with a Michigan, um, does have that potential as well because Ohio State, despite looking really good, hasn't really played anybody over the past four or five weeks since that Oregon loss. But uh, those tests are coming and they might pass them all and be right back where they were the last couple of years in the playoffs. So probably the most interesting thing to play out over the second half, half of the season. Uh, but it's hard for me in the SEC at least to think we're on uh, any other course but one that's going to end up with 11-1 Alabama and 12-0 Georgia and Atlanta in six or seven weeks from now. And, man, <clears throat> from Cincinnati being number two to Iowa being number two to Georgia being number one to Alabama – uh, you know, being number three or number four, how chaotic has the first half of this season been when, obviously, when Alabama loses, that makes everybody go crazy. But do you think Clemson got everything kind of going crazy at this point? That's probably the most shocking um, performance as a whole over the course of the six or seven weeks together is from Clemson. Yeah, we didn't see Alabama's loss coming, but, you know, most seasons they do lose one game. Uh, here or there, Ohio State, that was that was pretty surprising, but we knew with the defense not being quite there with a new quarterback, that was certainly possible. Um, that Oregon did it in Columbus was surprising, but again, that's college football, but I think Clemson just week in and week out is having nothing on offense, and you know, I don't think it takes away anything from what Georgia did in that opener, but it's mid-October into late October now, and they still haven't figured out their offense. And they're not playing, you know, world beaters here in, in Syracuse and NC State and Boston College. And they're struggling to get 17, 20 points. So um, just stunning for what had been a 1A or a 1B program in the sport over the last five years to just look like an average run-of-the-mill ACC team now through enough data where we can say this is who Clemson is. They're not just young and replacing some – really great players and needing, you know, three or four weeks to get it figured out. It's just, it's not going to get figured out this year. I don't think it's, it's ugly every week we see them. So that's the big surprise of the season. Obviously when you get a day like we had last Saturday, um, that was iconic. And I think one we'll be talking about for the next few seasons, looking back on everything that happened that day from the, the crazy comebacks and the shootouts and the early portion to the weirdness of Penn state, Iowa to, to Alabama losing. I think that's what has made the season a ton of fun and giving us some hope for those of us that would like to see some new blood in there that we might get that. But, again, as we've laid out, there's a pretty clear path where we get back to four of the core five being in, being the last four standing come early December. So 
it's been a fun year in that sense. And, you know, I think we got a lot more curveballs to come here over the next six or seven weeks. Matt Smith, southernpigskin.com. Our guest here on 3 and Out, Matt, we appreciate it. And uh, guard your, your, your picnic tables and your folding tables while the Bills Mafia is in town, man. We appreciate it. No problem, guys. Thanks. <laughs> you later. Appreciate it. Matt Smith joining us here on uh, 3 and Out. And, again, a wild weekend has been, you have said, kind of what he hit on there at the end. This is what it looks like right now. But college football has been such a week-to-week thing where just when you think you know, you don't know. I, even Oklahoma, for as much people are like, oh, we do Oklahoma. Yeah, raise your hand if you had Oklahoma <laughs> not with Spencer Rattler as their quarterback getting it done. And he's not hurt. Yeah. Well, Spencer Rattler being out, I mean, uh, you know, Iowa gets taken down by the the, yeah. the, 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 the almighty Purdue Boilermakers. Uh, Cincinnati being number two right now. Clemson being bad right now. Miami can't find a way to get a win. Georgia's number one. Alabama, they bums. They, they, they lost a the game. They, <laughs> they're no longer good. But no, Kevin, this is what we want. This is the Kevin Thomas chaos. But always remember, if you're not a usual suspect, and, and when it comes to the college football playoff rankings, they're going to go off your previous resume and what they know you to be. We will see what happens, Kevin, but I will have to see it to believe it because Cincinnati has beaten the almighty Notre Dame fighting Irish, and that might not be enough for them still to make the Final yeah. Four when it does come. A lot of football still to go. We've got more to come. We'll take three. When we return, it's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio. Good to have you back here on this Monday. We'll get to the good, the bad, the ugly from the college football weekend coming up in the final hour of the program. Also look at the Braves. Game 3 coming up tomorrow early evening, 5.07 uh, early pitch tomorrow uh, for the Braves and Dodgers. Game 3 there from L.A. We'll also hear from Matt Moscona of ESPN 104.5 in Baton Rouge. Had a chance to speak with our own Christian Gokel and talk about that Ed Osheron situation there at LSU. And where do the Tigers go? for their next head coach. So a lot of that still to come here on the show. But first, let's take three here on 3 and Out. All right, Ben. It's a shame BJ's not here uh, today because the Jags won a game. That might just be the Jags won a game. Breaking news. Because the first time they've done it in 20 games. They had a 20-game losing streak snapped in London. Take one. Can they win two in a row? They got the Seahawks. They're off this week. They got the Seahawks in two weeks. No Russell Wilson. Can the Jags win two? Yeah, if they go back to London. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they, they haven't really they haven't really shown they can win on American soil. It's been, you know, it's been well over a full season, right? It's all, it's, you know, it's been a season and four games since they've won a game. Went one and fifteen last year. No, I mean, the, you know, it's winning builds confidence, and this Jaguars team obviously got a lot of help yesterday for Brian Flores and his uh, decision making or lack thereof yesterday being fourth and one on at midfield, him going for it, not getting it. That's how they end up. Uh, making a couple of plays and, uh, you know, kicking a field goal to win it. But the Jacksonville Jaguars are a very, very young team. Their, their team, their average age on their team is 25 years old and younger. And their key positions are very, very young guys who are still trying to figure out how to win and win consistently and at a high level. But can they do it? Yes. This Seattle, this Seattle Seahawks team, they, they got a bunch of guys, you know, like DK Metcalf right now that's more worried about going back and forth on social media with Shannon Sharp than actually going out there trying to win games who – Seattle is coming off a big loss, you know, last night against, uh, against you know, against Pittsburgh. But, yes, can they can they do it? Yes, because they've shown that, okay, this is what it's going to take to win. It's going to be scratching the con for every single inch, Kevin. 
Uh, that go my any given Sunday uh, reference. You know, you got to scratch and claw. You got to be willing to die for that inch. But, no, I think the Jacksonville team is like a lot of young teams. It's not the talent. It's just they're young and they're trying to figure out how to go out there and win. But can they get two in a row? We will see. I mean, it's good. They got to win. They get a, you know, couple of weeks off. But those Seattle Seahawks, they're going to be, they're, listen, they're going to be, oh, my God. They're going to be really, really looking forward to playing this young Jaguar squad. Yeah, again, I, I – Urban Meyer probably needed that as much as anybody, right, to, to get a uh, to get a win. No matter, as you said, even if it was questionable decision making uh, by the Dolphins, can they win two? I'm still going to withhold judgment <laughs> on <laughs> on this Jaguars here again. That was a special set of circumstances. As you said overseas trip, and, 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 your, and, they, and, your, they and they typically do play well in London. That's why. I was going to say even even with. The game, the last couple they had lost. Yeah. They haven't had too many where they just were flat out of the, yes. out of the they, football they, game. They, or they, do you, they be in you, every yeah. game. Yes, they be, in, they be in every – think about Jacksonville. They be in every game they're in. It's just inexperience uh, and lack of game tape uh, shows at the end of most of these games with Jacksonville. I give Trevor Lawrence a lot of credit. He's not a front runner. He's a guy that wants to go out to every single snap. He's not trying to I'm, – and I'm not saying guys – he's not like any nagging injuries or anything. He's trying to go out there and get a big win. But shout-out to them Jaguars who, if it was up to Mr. Khan, it would be them London Jaguars if it was up to him. But shout-out to them Jags for getting getting out there because right now they are now uh, – you know, uh, it's only one unbeaten team left in the National Football League, and that is by far the worst franchise. And I'm talking about the Detroit Lions. Yeah. And, again, we'll see if Jacksonville can turn into something. I think if – the Jags end up winning three or four games from where they started. Maybe that's a win there for uh, for Urban Meyer and company in year number one. Moving along, take two. Can the Braves finish off the series in Los Angeles? And I ask it that way because a lot of Dodger uh, media were saying, oh, the Dodgers gave away game one. This thing's not going back to Atlanta. Well, now if the Dodgers want to win it, it most definitely is. But can the Braves do the opposite. Can they finish this series in L.A.? I, I say yes. And and, and for this reason, Kevin, uh, they're familiar with this squad. It's not like this is new for the Braves. The Braves have been, you know, four years with Snit, you know, and Alex Anthopoulos, four years in the playoffs. Now, while while the thing, the thing about this Dodgers team, are the Braves a better team than the Dodgers? No, but they don't have to be. Have the Braves gotten much better the last four years? Yes. And the Braves are also coming in, you know, without Ronald Cunha Jr., you know, without Mike Soroka, without Marcelo Zuna, and the list goes on and on. The Braves are finding a way to win ugly, and they're doing it with pitching. Now, it doesn't have to be lights out. I know BJ has the whole, you know, the whole notion of you got to win in the playoffs with pitching. Well, you do, but you don't. Will Smith has been lights out thus far, Kevin, and I think because, you know, sometimes, you know, you want to be able to, you know, kick that steel door reinforced with L.A. Dodgers down at a certain point because if you are Alex Anthopoulos, you can't be satisfied with going to the playoffs, and unfortunately – the Dodgers are, you know, the, you know, uh, that Achilles heel for this Braves team. But I do think they can get it done, Kevin. Won't be easy because just like last year, you know, I mean, you know, these uh, Dodgers were kind of sleeping. And then they get down. They start, they, they hit another gear. I think this Braves team is going to have to come with a really, really good game three. Because that's going to that's gonna kind of me decide what happens. Because if the Braves do come back, even with a cushion, I think that favors the Braves. I don't think the Braves want to get back on that plane, headed back to Truist, having to, you know, having to, uh, you know, uh, beat those guys at home. Yeah, and again, I think this is one of those uh, those deals where can they? I, I, I think they can, but will they? I'm going to say it's going to be tough because they just, for whatever reason, have not played well in Los Angeles. That's just documented what their record uh, has been going to L.A. Can you carry that momentum? Now, I think if they're going to do it, need to do it tomorrow. Charlie Morton, go out there, give you a good opportunity to go out and get it done and continue the hot play 
uh, there in Los Angeles. But uh, again, I think the goal is still one out of hit one out of three. If you can, that doesn't that's not great. But if you win one out of three, you get two cracks at home uh, to to win one game to send you to the World Series. And again, people say, well, you had better than that last year. Well, that was at a neutral site. You were playing in uh, in Texas, and the Dodgers just did what the Dodgers do. I think you got to ride that wave and try to hold them back as best you can. I think if you're going to do it, win tomorrow night, go up 3-0, and really put the pressures on the Dodgers to, to try to go out and beat you. They can do it. We've, I mean, we've seen it. The Braves were, what, six outs from the other uh, World Series? Yeah. Got to go out there and do it. it. Might have been three outs from the World Series and weren't able to finish. All right, moving along. Take three. Can Florida, Ben, I know this is a tough spot. Can Florida compete with Georgia in two weeks? I say that knowing they've been up and down. Had some tough losses that maybe uh, you didn't see. Dan Bullen getting a little heat for what they're not doing on defense there with uh, with Todd Grantham. And you got a team playing, uh, they should be, they're number one, playing as well as anybody in the country in a defense that has not been figured out at all. So can Florida compete with Georgia? I didn't say win. I say can they compete with Georgia in two weeks? Absolutely. And, and, and the reason why I say this is because you know, this Georgia team has been better, you know, uh, top to bottom as far as, like, talent-wise for the Georgia, for the Florida team the last since, – since Kirby Smart has been there, since Dan Muller has been there, it's going to come down to, you know, can you withstand the onslaught? When it back, like, I go back to when I played uh, against Georgia, they had some really, really good rosters. And you understand that this defense is playing about as good as I've seen in a long time for Georgia. But can they do it? Yes. It's going to take – it's going to take a great effort. Georgia doesn't lack – Georgia doesn't lack – I mean, I'm Georgia <coughs> – Florida doesn't lack uh, uh, scheme. Florida lacks execution. And the one thing that Georgia's doing better than anybody right now, Kevin, is executing. Their offense isn't, you know, world beaters, but their defense is just lights out. I mean, we were talking to Brooks Austin earlier. He was saying, listen, Kentucky had success when it was third third and less than five. Every every other drive is three and out, three and out, three and out. So for this Florida team, it's going to be sustained drives. It's going to be a great game plan. It's going to be great execution. It's going to be a great scheme. You go back to the Florida-Georgia game last year. Stetson Bennett was the starting quarterback. Uh, Kyle Pitts was, got, got knocked out in the game. Kadarius Tony didn't have that big, of a, that big of a game. A lot of these guys in the game this year played last year. It's going to take a, a heroic effort for this Florida team to not just compete but win this game. But can they compete, Kevin? Yes. But this is the thing. Can you compete for four quarters is going to be the question. I do think they can. But that's why we, that's why we play the game. That's why we show up. And hopefully they show up to show out and not just get shown up by these Georgia Bulldogs in two weeks. And if they do, might that be it for Todd Grantham there at uh, defensive coordinator? Oh yeah, I mean Todd Grantham and uh, Todd Grantham is definitely on that uh, less that uh, that uh, that Ed Ogeron uh, trajectory <laughs> right now because at the end of the day you make too much money. And the thing about it is, Kevin, it's a head scratcher. You play, you come up two points short against Alabama. You, you know, you, you played extremely well against Kentucky. It was more or less like the, like the team and not the defense. Then, you, then you, I mean, you have a head scratcher against, I mean, 49 points. My goodness, it was 35-35 going into the fourth quarter. But, yeah, Todd Grather, one of the highest paid uh, coordinators in the country. You got to go out and get it done. And listen, if you've ever met Dan Muller, nobody, and I mean nobody, points the finger more. Dan Muller. It's over there. It's over there. It's not right here. So I'm just saying, Dan Muller going to say, it ain't me. I mean, we scored 42, didn't you? We shouldn't have gave him 49. But yes, Ty Grantham, uh, I hope you are renting at this point, sir, because the for sale signs are definitely going to be in the yard. Mrs. Grantham, may God bless you because, I mean, life is not uh, not life is not fair sometimes. But yes, Kevin, they're going to have to play well on defense because if it's, if it's one of those type of efforts, I was at I was at I was um at the Florida Georgia game when McElwain was there and it was 21-0 first quarter but they had already made a decision to fire 
uh, you know, uh, defy Jim McElroy before the game. Ty Gratham, do not go to Twitter. Do not do not listen to the news. Do not watch, do not watch TV because they are roughing you up right now. Oh, yeah. We've got more to come. That's take three. We do it each and every day here at this time. We'll come back. And, again, we talked to Ed Ogeron. We didn't talk to that, but we've talked about Ed Ogeron. He is going to be out at season's end at LSU. That's now the fourth coaching vacancy, big-time college football here in 2021, and we still got five, six weeks left until we get to conference championship Saturday. So how many more are going to fall in line? We'll talk about that when we come back. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day. And Ben, coaching vacancies out there, Southern Cal, UConn, Georgia Southern, and now LSU after uh, Ed Ogeron comes to an agreement to not be the head coach at season's end. We'll stay and, and finish it out. And again, one of those weird things where you just had a nice win over Florida, and then you get... I don't know if I guess you can't really say fired other than we agreed to part ways at the end of the season. And usually when that happens, the coach is like, all right, I'm out. I mean, it's like you got to have somebody here that can recruit, uh, start to build towards the future. But no, Ed Ogeron's sticking around one of the stranger situations. I know Ed Ogeron's had off-the-field stuff that's uh, been of concern to LSU fans, but he did win a national championship uh, two years ago going 15-0 in one of the great all-time seasons we've ever seen in college football. Yeah, it is a peculiar case, Kevin. I mean, when I saw when I saw it come out breaking news, I mean, uh, both uh, you know, Coach Ogeron and LSU had decided to like separate apart ways. Uh, you know, number one, I I, I can give uh, LSU a lot of credit for kind of like you know awarding Coach O for what he did in 2019. You can't take that away. He said it's been a great run. I mean, nobody exemplifies LSU more than Mr. Go Tigers himself, Coach Ogeron. But I think that you know LSU was trying to do right, but while understanding that the future did not look bright. Uh, for this LSU team. I mean, people thought that 2020 was because of, you know, uh, the NFL draft. It was because of opt-outs. You got 2021 is outside of the Florida game yesterday. You really don't know how this season is going to end. And, Kevin, you mentioned all the vacancies. You, I mean, you mentioned Georgia Southern. I mean, you mentioned UConn. You mentioned USC. I think I think what teams are understanding now is it's not a matter of that we uh, fire these coaches. It's when we fire them because – Kevin, something you said, I go back to early signing day. It, it, it impacts the way you do everything, not just recruiting. But, okay, if we're going to get rid of a coach, when do we do it? Now, that kind of goes back into the coach old thing again. Why would he stay the rest of the season? He has made a lot of promises to the incoming class, the 2022 class at LSU. They want, he want to let them know that, look, I know that I'm the one, I could be a reason why you're coming here. Let LSU be the reason why you still choose LSU because coaches come – Coaches go, but it is still very, very peculiar. I know that LSU is not trying to be at the forefront of how coach firings are happening, but it was crazy, Kevin. If Florida would have won the game, it would have been easy because everybody thought going into the game that Coach O losing three in a row could have potentially be the reason why he got fired, but they had already made this decision, and, I, and I've heard a lot of other rumblings that came out because I think that 2020 had more to do, too, with off the field. And, you know, you hear like, uh, you know, social issues and different things, but and different things that Coach O was doing, which, I mean, I'm not going to get into that because I don't know the particulars of it, but it is peculiar, Kevin, that, you know, it's going to be whoever he, whoever replaces Coach O, though, I hope they don't think they're walking into, you know, uh, uh, a situation where they're going to give you time and patience <laughs> because he did go 15 0. Les Miles did win a natty. 
Nick Saban did win a natty. So the last three coaches have all won natties with Coach O probably having the best resume as far as the national championship year. Then, because I remember in 2004, LSU lost one game <coughs> to them boys uh, from Gainesville. And obviously they won in two, 2007. But, yeah, Kevin, Coach O will be missed because he, he did exemplify uh, LSU when you think about what a face can do uh, for a program. But, yeah, Coach O's moving on. Probably decided they had to get them numbers right. That's 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 what they really agreed to. This is what you're willing to take to get up out of here, Coach O. All right, cool. Because but now, Kevin, the coaching search begins, and I know that USC is a prime destination because it's in the Pac-12. It's in Los Angeles. I know that Georgia Southern is a is a is a, is a, a great landing spot because it is you know in the Sun Belt. But dude, LSU is gonna have its pick of the litter, and there are a lot of names that they covet. To, uh, to, uh, to fill that spot. It certainly are. And who, who is that attraction? I saw Jimbo Fisher had a press conference today. I got, might have just been his weekly press conference that they uh, that they do. But obviously he was going to be asked about it. He said, look, I'm happy here at Texas A&M. Well, of course he is. That's what you're going to say. But, uh, you know, what kind of guy are they getting? I, again, because the money situation at LSU, as you said, is going to be good. Uh, but is it good enough to take guys who are already making great money? Uh, and, and, and lure them over there? I don't know. I mean, Jimbo, of course, is going to come out and say, I'm happy at Texas A&M. You don't start a, a weekly press conference saying, yeah, LSU's open, man. I, I definitely got my <laughs> eyes on that bad boy. I mean, you know, but uh, look, who realistically is LSU going to go after here? Because I know there's a couple of rules of thought. Do you want to get a guy who's already established? Do you want to get a guy who's got a, a resume? Or do you want to take a chance on a guy who is an up-and-comer defensive offensive kind of a guru genius if you will uh and make them in charge of the lsu program i think you keep your options uh options open kevin i think that's the great thing about lsu is they can they can decide a lot of different ways i mean you mentioned jimbo the second highest paid coach right now is that ogeron he's right behind old saint nick at nine million dollars a year so when you say who can they get uh, you can get a lot for nine mil you can get a whole lot bill, bill napier's name is going to come up I mean, uh, you know, uh, I think I think when you think about a guy like Lane Kiffin, hot shot coach, Jimbo Fisher, let me tell you something I've learned about coaches. Can't trust them. Nope, nope, nope. Y'all say all <laughs> kind of stuff. I don't want to hear that. Two words, Mel Tucker. Mel Tucker left as a defensive coordinator. He went straight to Colorado State. How long did that last? It didn't last. He went straight to Michigan State. What is Michigan State right now? They are undefeated. A name that's popped up, Mel Tucker, because you don't show – listen, there is no loyalty to the team. It's the loyalty to the bank account. And if I can give you seven, eight million dollars a year before you even before you even get to Baton Rouge, I think they're gonna be able to have their pick of the litter. I wouldn't trust nothing until until it's until it don't say breaking news, Jimbo Fisher, not the head coach, <laughs> new head coach at LSU. I ain't trust it because all he's gonna do is come out. Listen, when Jimbo Fisher left Florida State, did he talk to the players? Nope. Did he talk to did he talk to DeAndre Francois? Nope. He took his Christmas tree and left it out on the front lawn <laughs> and he got on the plane and he got up out of there. So Kevin, you know just like I know. Coaches are trying to make as much money as they can, and they're trying to win as many games as they can to boost their resume and reputation. And the fact that LSU can pay nine to a coach that's leaving, man, that means they got a lot of money down yeah. there, and they don't have to worry about that buyout. And that's that, again, that, that's where I think the, the money has gotten so good. You start to ask yourself questions of, yeah, do you want a coach in the SEC? Yes. Do you want a coach in the SEC West with Bama and Auburn? I know you're one of those programs, and coaching Machismo says yes, you do. But you're also in the SEC West, where now. We've seen it not once, but twice. A guy get fired after he has won a national championship. Not before. Not before, hey, man, we just couldn't quite get us there. No, you won one. Nope, you're still gone. And it has happened now twice in less than two years. Gene Chizik won a national title. Less than two years, he's done. 
Coach O wins a title less than two years later. I mean, he'll be done officially after two years, but less than two years later, he gets to notice he's done. So, could I make six somewhere else and they're not going to fire me, or do I go for the nine where they could fire me even if I win uh, at the end of the day? I think I think that that is your win-win, though, Kevin, right? Because I know my buyout is going to be really, really high. I know I can gain a lot of money. Coach O signed that contract right after he won in 2019, and people were like, whoa, man, that's a – that's a big time decision, but you got to give it to them. That 2019 LSU team was already one of the best teams we've seen as far as like national championship, and they went unblemished at 15 and 0. But that is the that is the best uh, or the greatest that Coach O can do. He can't go nowhere but down, no matter what type of season they have. And let's face it, you're in the SEC West. That's a lot of stress. Texas A&M is playing well. Ole Miss is playing well as of late. Arkansas they're playing better. Mississippi State gonna throw the ball around all the freaking time. Oh, and they're and they're and they're still Auburn and Alabama. There's a lot of stress, but. It is LSU, one of the premier coaching destinations. You got to recruit in the state of Louisiana. You don't have to worry about – I mean, the Saints are not as big of a brand in that state than the LSU Tigers. You're in Baton Rouge, hour down the road from New Orleans, and they got a lot of money. I don't know if they got all money <laughs> down there in LSU, but they got something. And those boosters play big money. The next coach don't have to worry about the money, Kevin. Can you deal with that heat of being the next LSU head coach? Yeah, I think that's where the uh, the expectations are going to be. But LSU is open. Ben, that's why we got a minute. Look at some of the other ones that we think might be open by the time it's done. Because this is four already, and we just got to the halfway point of the college football season. I think we're just on the flip side now. I think LSU still got five games left. So we certainly know in the next coming weeks there's going to be more. Who else is going to be having an opening? And that's what these teams also are going to contend with of, hey, I'm at LSU, but – could a Miami gig be open, which obviously is very attractive as far as recruiting is concerned? I mean, where do you, who else do you think is, is popping open here? I think Miami is going to be open uh, in the coming weeks. I think when you think about the early signing day, I mean, uh, the early signing period, Kerry, uh, Manny Diaz, I mean, once again, just like a USC, you're talking about a story program. They're not paying for a good head coach. They're paying for what it used to be. They want that old thing back down there in Coral Gables. It's not going to happen when you think. And once again, Kevin, outside of Manny Diaz, as of late, all their coaches, before you start talking about the Manny, all their coaches winning the national championship, the Jimmy Johnsons of the world, you know, different things. So I think that Manny Diaz is going to be out. Not, And it's not his fault, man. I mean, look, he – he had a cup of coffee, you know, up there at Temple. Didn't even put his, his jacket, wasn't even on the chair yet. He's back on the plane next to Miami. I think, and, and it's another thing, too. I know that people like to talk about how long is Mac Brown going to coach? You really, really don't know. Mac Brown is not a spring chicken. Yeah, they did not live up for, for expectations. It, exactly. And Mac Brown is there because he got a Sam Howell. How much longer does he want to coach? And I think that one of these SEC schools, maybe like an Ole Miss, maybe like a Texas AM, maybe even a Michigan State might have an opener because they're going to be snatching one of these head coaches because you're going to have to have a guy that's coaching the SEC, that understands how to recruit in the SEC, and has an established reputation all, already. So Jimbo, Lane, Mel, y'all cell phones still the same, and them dollars going to go up. Millions, millions, man, it's going to get everybody's attention. So watch out for, you know, Texas A&M, maybe, uh, maybe even um, uh, Michigan State or Ole Miss. But, but Miami, it's only a matter of time. Kevin Manny Diaz, he's done all he can do. But unfortunately, Miami isn't even a, an elite program at this point. They're just another program, and they're trying to get back to elite status. Yeah, we've got more to come here on 3 Now. We'll hit the good, the bad, the ugly. Coming up top of the final hour as well, it's 3 Now on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here on 3 and Out. Busy final hour around the corner. We're here from Matt Muscana of ESPN 104.5 in Baton Rouge. Uh, he had a chance to speak with our own Christian Gokel about uh, the latest with Ed Ogeron and how that all came about and what LSU might be looking for in their next head football coach. We'll also look at the Braves game three coming up tomorrow. Getting excited about that. Also, we'll do the good, the bad, and the ugly. Ben, there was a lot of all three 
from around college football this weekend, and we'll hit that coming up top of next hour. Yeah, Kevin, it's, it's a lot of good, a lot of bad, a lot of ugly. I'm so, unfortunately, my uh, my my Florida Gators, we are, we are not any <laughs> a part of the good at this point. But yeah, Kevin, a lot to get to uh, you know hour number three. Oh, there's still time; they can get in there uh, at, <laughs> at some point. Hey, uh, Mother, <laughs> Mrs. Mother definitely trying to get in the good because she's tired of dealing with the bad. That is her husband right now with the nonsense. <laughs> Ben still won't watch the game at the end of the day. Did you did, did you did you even watch? No, no, no. I no? Just, well, unfortunately on my phone, you know, that's that's another thing too. When I like go straight to ESPN or whatever, it'll right. pop up the game, so I can't even avoid it. And I knew something was wrong with PJ saying, Hey, can we co talk about the Florida game in the group chat? And I said, <laughs> Hell no, because I already knew something wasn't good. <laughs> something wasn't good. So when I go to it, I'm like, 42 to what? Let me no, nobody's going to say that in the, uh, exactly. in the group I'm message. Like, like, I'm like, Why you want to talk about Florida, not Penn State? I'm like, You know what? That's not good. But yeah. hey, man, it's Florida doing Florida things like, you know, blocking each other and things that nature. Yeah. Florida making the highlights for the wrong P- week. PJ poking his head in there. Is it safe? Can we talk about Florida? No. Ben shut it down. That was fun. That was one of the funnier things from uh, from Saturday. Uh, kind of just off the air. Nobody saw but us. But that was uh, that was funny. Can we talk about Florida? Nope. No, we're not. No, gonna. hell no. No, Ben has shut it down. <laughs> we are going to come back. We got another hour to go here on Three Now. We won't talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Matt Muscana will join us uh, in the final hours. Well, here on Three Now. Good to have you back here. Final hour of Three and Out. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop. Glad you were with us here on this Monday. Been staying up late. With those Braves games, it's well worth it, Ben. Uh, coming back, we'll uh, we'll talk about that coming up in just a little bit. Also here from Matt Moscana, ESPN 104.5 in Baton Rouge, the latest with uh, Coach O there in LSU. Where do they go for their next coaching hire? So we'll get to that coming up in just a little bit. But first, time for a little good, the bad, and the ugly from the college football weekend. We'll start out with the good news. Always want the good news first, Ben. Who was good? Uh, this weekend. Uh, more like really good. Them Georgia Bulldogs. I mean, all these narratives going into the game become much to do about nothing going out of the game. I mean, what? We we just a couple of weeks we're a couple of weeks moved from Arkansas is gonna come into Georgia and it's gonna be real bad. Nope. Georgia's gonna go to Auburn and things get real freaky and crazy when they go up to Auburn. Nope. This Kentucky team, man, ranked eleven, you know, uh, coming in six and undefeated. I'm telling you, Chris Rodriguez, you know, you look at you know, you look at that passing game with Will Levin and these guys, they got a good chance to come in and really knock off these Georgia Bulldogs. No, Georgia plays Suffocating defense, they play complimentary offense. I mean, Stetson Bennett and Brock Bowers and these tight ends are finding a way to get it done with the passing game. They're doing it running back by committee. And dare I say, if you have to face the front seven of the Georgia Bulldogs, good luck with that because nobody has been able to uh, to solve that problem. But, yes, Georgia is a problem, and they're not good. They're really, really good. They're even elite. So, the Georgia Bulldogs would be my good. Yeah, I think uh, Georgia, their defense specifically is who I pointed out is good. Minus one. Drive at the end of the ball game, that 11-minute drive. Kentucky didn't do much of anything. Uh, they 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 got one touchdown out there, didn't do much of anything. And and as uh, we talked with Brooks Austin, look over the course of the season, we talked about that. Ben said, look, that last play for Kentucky, a teachable moment. Call a timeout. We're still gonna punch it and get the uh, and get the uh, the touchdown. A teachable moment for Kirby Smart. Look. I don't think y'all they were out there reading their own press clippings and all that. But look, we have been so dominant. So dominant that we give up a touchdown, an 11-minute drive. Everybody's looking around going, what in the world's going on? Well, that's why you, you got to finish that old cliche, finish the drill, finish it, finish strong, don't let a team. What if you're in a, in, in a situation? Has it been all year, but let's say SEC championship game. Let's say college football playoff game. And that team needs 75 yards and a touchdown to beat us. Well, a team just went on, what, a 22-play, 11-minute drive against that defense. That doesn't happen. That's not supposed to happen. So, 
outside of that, very, very good, once again, for the Georgia defense. What about the bad? The bad, I got two bads. I mean, first, first I got them Iowa Hawkeyes. I mean, all this much to do about nothing. The, the Purdue, the, I mean, the story, Frank, the story, the, you know, uh, tradition of the Purdue Boilermakers of knocking guys off. I think we three years removed, Kevin, or two or three years when they knocked off. Uh, the then Ohio State, the Ohio State Buckeyes, they find a way to beat. Listen, we're not going to make a lot of noise, but we will knock off top teams in our conference. And Florida Gator defense, I mean, bottom line, at the end of the day, Ty Grantham, got to find a way to get it done. I mean, coming into this game, I think it was leading the SEC in sacks, finding a way to get off the field, 49 points against a depleted uh, LSU offense. They didn't even have, uh, you know, Keishon Butte, one of the best uh, receivers in, you know, in uh, college football. And I don't know what it is about Max Johnson. He seems to get up for the Florida Gators. I mean, two years, no problem, two wins against his Florida. I mean, against his Florida team. But yeah, that Florida defense. I mean, it was bad from opening ding. I mean, going into the fourth quarter, 35-35. Then it was tied 42-42. Final score 42-49. So let me let me get this straight. Florida gave up. Florida Florida uh, scored 42 points, but gave up 49. So Ty Grantham, listen. I know we've been talking about people getting fired. I'm not calling for people to get fired. But Mrs. Grantham life can't be good right now because he got to avoid the inevitable, and that is Ty Grantham, fourth and Grantham, third and Grantham. Get the hell out the field, Grantham. Could not happen <laughs> on Saturday. So give me them that Florida Gator D just laying an egg in Baton Rouge in Death Valley on Saturday. Yeah, my bad's going to be Iowa, number two in college football. You come off a big win, Penn State. I know Penn State's quarterback got hurt, but you get a big win, go to number two in the country, and you get beat by Purdue. And not just beat, you get beat down. 24-7, to four picks, uh, throwing the football by Iowa. Not a way to make a statement when you get up there to uh, to number two to lose to a team like Purdue. Again, nothing against Purdue. They find a way to beat Ohio State when Ohio State's been number one. They have been kind of the, the rally killers, so to speak, there in the Big Ten. But you can't let that happen a week after you get up there into that number two spot. Iowa, my bad this week. And what about the ugly Ben? That would be the Tennessee Vols fan base. Now I know I know it was a big deal. Lane Kiffins, you know, coming back to Tyson, the hundred thousand fans were gonna be you know gonna be uh, barking and screaming and yelling and you know booing him. And I understand that. But then got a bad call. I understand that was a bad call on the refs. And once again, Kevin the ugly could be the refs not feeling the consequences of blowing games or changing the dynamic of the momentum of a game every week. But Throwing golf balls, throwing throwing uh throwing mustard bottles. I mean, I, <laughs> my my thing is this: Tennessee don't like Lane Kiffin, but this is the problem. He coached there twelve years ago. It's not like he was the next. He he wasn't a Lane Kiffin. He is now. Back then, he was saying, "Look, man, I didn't know the SEC football was like this. I thought these people like they, they go crazy in the off season. No, there is an off season SEC football, but golf balls." And like you know, and throwing like you know mustard bottles. Come on, Tennessee. This is low, even for y'all. I mean, I get the fact that you don't like Lane Kiffin, and everybody wants a villain, but you're throwing stuff at him. And then, I mean, he caught it going off the field. That was very, very nice, very, very smooth. But you add it to the legend known as Lane Kiffin. But come on, Tennessee, throwing. I mean, I mean, my goodness. I mean, and Kevin, we talked about this. Of all the things sneaking the game, you went up to the concession stand and stole the freaking uh, uh, mustard bottle, and you walk in with a freaking golf ball. Get a life, do better, but come yeah. on, man, can't be throwing something. Yeah, here's the and here's the thing. I know the players have helmets on and padding and all that, but you know Lane Kiffin, nothing. You know, it's like you you chunk a golf ball hard enough, unless you're in the front row, Ben. You chunk a golf ball hard enough to get down onto the field to hit Lane Kiffin. I mean, you hit him in the head in the right spot. That's I mean, that's he's out. Yes, I mean that's a that's, that, that's some real that's yeah. some real that's dislike borderline hatred right there, Kevin. Because the thing is this, okay. 
This isn't just something you planned the week of. Somebody said, look, when Lane Kiffin comes, I'm going to be sitting right here. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to get a golf ball, and I'm going to throw. I, and, and I understand, you know, Kevin, a genuine dislike from the fan base is, you know, it's warranted. I mean, we understand that that's normal. Throwing stuff, that's when it gets a bit much. And guess what? Guess what you didn't factor in? <clears throat> They are cameras all over the stadium. So just because they didn't have the camera on you, no, the camera's still on you. And they should make your name public. And I'm talking about, I'm talking about enemy number one of the mustard thrower, the mustard bottle thrower, and the golf ball thrower. You should be not allowed in any other game because it's not that serious. Because I mean, it's all fun and games when somebody gets hurt. I credit uh, Lane Kiffin with taking it in the stride. But you lost the game anyway, and you only added to his legend. I mean, there is Lane Kiffin, but, yeah. but I think that's a bit much. And you're out 250k from the SEC. Uh, today as well. My ugly, I was going to say Tennessee, but I had a backup because I figured you might go there. My ugly, South Carolina. And again, you're playing SEC football, so on some level, I get it. South Carolina beat Vanderbilt. You're going, okay, they're supposed to do that. No, no, no. no. South Carolina beat Vanderbilt with nine seconds left in the game. <laughs> South Carolina, nine Whoa. seconds. Had to, had to go on a 75-yard drive with Zeb Nolan, your backup quarterback, who just came in fresh into the game. Had to go 75 yards and dump one in the end zone with nine seconds to beat Vanderbilt. And again, they're an SEC school, but Vanderbilt now 0-16 in their last 16 games against SEC teams. Four turnovers, 10 penalties, and you score with nine seconds. I guess you won, but that was ugly, South Carolina. Nine Very seconds ugly. left. I mean, at the end of the day, Kevin, they got it done. But listen, Beamer Ball wasn't what you thought it was going to be. We heard about <laughs> Beamer Ball in the SEC, but you got it done because you better not lose at Vanderbilt. That's how you go from. Well, somebody's going. Something. Here's the thing I always told BJ uh, about this because it is Vanderbilt, and you get, I get it. Somebody is going to lose to Vanderbilt. They're just going to. You just don't want it to be you. Exactly. You, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's yeah. That's the budding joke. At least we didn't lose to Vanderbilt. Well, for, well, for South Carolina, nine seconds left in the game. They was thinking, dude, we about to, yeah, you about to do the unthinkable. <laughs> it's like like you're playing Alabama or something here, trying to beat uh, Vanderbilt uh, here on a Saturday afternoon. But no, the, uh, yeah, South Carolina just you know, and that was the kind of game you would expect if it comes down to you know nine seconds, four turnovers, ten penalties, way. More penalties than Vanderbilt had. And, again, you go to your backup quarterback who bails you out with nine seconds in a ball game. That was ugly. So that's our good, our bad, and our ugly from the college football weekend. Hopefully we see more good uh, as we uh, we continue to move on because I know this was kind of a strange week with you know kind of weird games. You had the Tennessee, as Ben said, just something that shouldn't happen. It caused over a call that was, again, you go to replay, and I get fans are frustrated, but, man, you still – and, again, this is the thing. You still got the ball back. Yeah, you did. You, you still did, you got did, the, you ball the ball back and went down the field. Now, if you want to, you know, Kevin, yell, that's, yell that's at your backup quarterback thing. for. Oh, if that wouldn't happen. And I will say this. I mean, uh, honorable mention, uh, L.A. Dodgers fans. Y'all, y'all, and L.A. Dodgers beat writers. I mean, all this, oh, it's, oh, we, they, we, we, get, no, you didn't give up anything in game one. The Braves won game one and game two. But that's the problem. When the usual suspects isn't what, you know, the, uh, you know what people say, don't nobody care about the Braves. B.S. People do care about the Braves. You do not care about the Braves. And, Kevin, doesn't that make winning even more better? It's like this. It's like I want to win to kind of throw it in their faces because these beat writers for the Dodgers, I'm telling you, y'all kind of showed y'all, you know what I'm saying, y'all ugly side on Saturday night. Y'all was talking that big stuff. Yeah. But that's why you play the game. And because it, it, all this, oh, we know how this ends. Uh, no. 
2020 was last year. You better step up to 2021. Yeah. Clayton Kershaw, he ain't running out of there right. this year. I, I mean, and I get it. Like Dodger fans saying what you have to say to make yourself feel good. Oh, well, we, uh, Dodgers didn't lose the game. Uh, like the Braves didn't win it. The Dodgers just kind of gave it away. Well, in back-to-back nights, the Braves have pitched better consistently, pitched better in big moments, and the Braves have not one but two walk-off hits. The end. Where's, where's the Dodgers' clutch hits? Now they maybe have some stored up when they get to L.A., so I don't want, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be like that. Uh, ben and say, oh, where, they can't be done. But look, the Braves have been a more clutch baseball team so far in this series than the Dodgers. That's, I mean, you have to look at it and say that's the case. They've pitched better in big moments uh, with their bullpen, and they've got, come up with the walk-off hit in back-to-back ball games. Now they got to go prove it again. The, the, you're updating your resume daily has been like to say, you got to go to L.A. and win where Let's you do don't. It. We don't normally do it, but the Braves have very much gone out and won the first game, uh, first two games of the series. Hadn't been the Dodgers just, oops, giving it to them. No. That Jock Peterson home run wasn't the oops. That thing is still going. That was amazing. Uh, Moonshot. <laughs> we'll get to that coming up in just a little bit. We'll talk Braves and Dodgers. But when we come back, we'll hear from Matt Muscana. Had a chance to speak with our own Christian Gokel, uh, ESPN 104.5 in Baton Rouge. We'll get the very latest from him on uh, the Ed Ogeron situation, who LSU might be looking at for their next head football. Three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop here with you. LSU going to have a coaching change done at the end of the season. Ed Ogeron going to be out uh, at the end of the day, uh, at the end of the year. And earlier on second down, our own Christian Gokel had a chance to speak with Matt Muscana, ESPN Radio 104.5 in Baton Rouge about that decision and where LSU might be going with their next head football coach. Matt Moscona, host of After Further Review. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time, and I'm sure in what's a really crazy time for you guys right now. Yeah, it's never boring here, that's for sure. It's my <laughs> pleasure. Thanks for the invite, guys. And the news, I mean, just following some of your stuff, not overly surprising uh, that, uh, that LSU decides to move on from Ed Orgeron, and you had spoken uh, last week about the fact that you kind of saw this coming in terms of he's going to finish out the year with the team. What do you think went into that thought process? Because I know a lot of people think it's kind of like breaking up with somebody and still living in the same house. Yeah, it is kind of odd. Um, so there is precedent for it. Um, LSU's athletic director, Scott Woodward, when he was at the University of Washington, did the same thing when he had Tyrone Willingham there as his coach in 2008. Uh, after the seventh game, they um, they – announced that Willingham would not return but would finish the season. So there's a couple of reasons why you might do it that way. The most obvious is that LSU just doesn't have a really good option for an interim head coach, which, which is a big right. reason why this is going the way it has. Um, it, back in 2016, when Les Miles was fired, you had that Ogeron, who had been an interim coach, had been a head coach. Sure. So that makes sense. The other thing is it, it's LSU's administration – uh, cover now to go begin a coaching search in earnest and not wait until you know, Thanksgiving when, when the regular season ends. You don't have the speculation from now until the end of the year about will he be fired or won't he, where the narrative be, had become more about that than it had about the games. So it does answer a lot of questions um, and change the narrative a bit uh, for the remainder of the season. 
and still five games on the schedule and some massive games coming up uh, on that schedule. But when you look at the program itself, this is a reset, and, and but the lifeblood of any college football team is recruiting. How bad do you think this affects it, or do you think with him staying on and some of those guys on staff maybe trying to keep their jobs, how do you think this affects their recruiting? Sure, I, I think that's a it's one of the key points, also why you make the announcement now. Um because it allows LSU to be transparent with recruits where you can say, I mean, you could paint the picture hypothetically where let's say LSU and Georgia were going head to head for, for a recruit. Well, Kirby or his staff could say, why would you go there? You don't know if, if your coach is going to right. be there. Uh, now you don't have that. There, there's transparency there with recruits where LSU's administrators can say to recruits, Here's who we're looking at. This is the process we're following. We'll have a coach in place. This is what we're thinking. Um, it's not. It's obviously not an ideal situation, especially with the December signing period. This used to be a, less of a right. big deal whenever it was in February, but now with the December signing period, it's it's sort of um, rushed that process, which is a big part of the reason also why you do it now. It might help you keep this recruiting class together. How will LSU fans remember Ed Orgeron and his tenure? Because a lot of people have compared it to what happened with Gene Chizik at Auburn. I mean, obviously there's a lot of parallels. You have a transitional or just a transformational quarterback talent transferring to your program. You go undefeated and win a national championship. And then a couple years later, you're out of a job. But, I mean, 15-0 and and maybe the best team ever. I feel like you give it a couple years, fans are going to look back fondly on Ed Orgeron. Yeah, the – the comparisons are are fair with with Chizik and how that played out. Um, the circumstances might not be complete apples to apples, but I do think mostly LSU fans are just going to revere 2019. Okay, um, you're, you're already starting to hear a lot of that that chatter around Baton Rouge, where this you know Ed's firing felt like an inevitability, um, even last year. You know, coming into this season, it it just felt like with a new athletic director, you know, who didn't hire him, a lot of off the field stuff going on. Um, that one misstep, and certainly a lackluster season, he'd be out. So I think fans have been preparing themselves for this. But guys, to to witness 2019 was just yeah. something that few fans ever actually get to experience. Not just a, a championship, but something of of that caliber, which you know is is in the conversation on the short list the greatest team and greatest season in the history of the sport. So certainly. I mean if that's if you trade the other all the muck for that one shiny yeah. toy, man, I think LSU fans would take it a hundred times out of a hundred. Now I'm sure there's millions of words being written about this uh, as we speak and have probably already been published, but the best you can, if you could just summarize why you felt like it was a given Ed Orgeron would probably be fired this season. Oh, I need a lot of words for that. Um <laughs> Well, I mean, you can start with the fact, obviously, that he was working for an athletic director that didn't hire him. Yeah. So every AD wants to – look, a football coaching hire is a legacy hire for an athletic director. And Scott Woodward is an LSU alum and you know, came back here ultimately to, to, to do this. Um, it, the other part of it is just that there have been so many things away from the field that have magnified the pressure of the result on the field. The LSU is in the middle of a Title IX investigation. Ed Ogeron is a defendant in two Title IX lawsuits. Um, there have been too many 
instances of public relations disasters at Ogeron taking pictures in bed with women and stories now leaking of him having you know, girlfriends at practice with their kids. And um, you know, when some might think he would be working, he's at a casino pool with the woman in a bikini running shirtless on the beach. I mean, guys, there's, there's so many of these that I'm not here to judge anybody. You know, Ed's a single man who can live his life the way he wants. But I think you also have to remember that when you're the head coach at LSU, you're the highest paid employee in the state. You are the face of not only the football program, but the university. And there's an expectation you carry yourself a certain way. And, and he didn't do that. There was too too much of that. And when you have that, the Title IX um, lawsuits, last summer in our country with the George Floyd protest, there was a lot of racial unrest. And Ed lost his locker room amid all of that. Um and it's hard to come back from that once you once you you know walk down that road and broken that trust. All of those things, on top of the issues they've had on the field, we haven't even talked about the right. failed coordinator hire. How much money that's cost LSU? I mean, it, 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 the the evidence was was massive, and he needed a a contending season, and he just didn't get it. Yeah, and now four and three. It was interesting timing because you get a massive win uh, over Florida in a what a eleven o'clock your time game. I know a noon game for us on the East Coast, but just an awesome game back and forth. Uh, and then you get the news shortly thereafter uh, that he's not coming back. But now the question turns to who's going to be the next guy. I know that there's already all kinds of betting odds out. Uh, Lane Kiffin is the number one on all of the betting lists that I've seen so far. Obviously, Jimbo Fisher is always going to be a name that's mentioned. Is it absolutely going to be? a head coach or do you see LSU maybe dipping into the coordinator because in my opinion this is one of the jobs in the country where you can kind of do like the Mr. Still your coach where it doesn't matter where they're coaching this is LSU we are a premier job and we can go plug people from anywhere yeah I know that's how LSU views it certainly um you know LSU has um has a lot of built-in advantages it is the it's the only power five in a talent-rich state, which puts more guys in the NFL per capita than any state in the country. Um, you have resources from facilities and um, salaries and any type of financial resources you need. Um, and LSU is, aside from Alabama, the only school uh, that's won three national titles since 2003. I mean, LSU's last three coaches have all played for and won national titles. Right. So there's a ton to sell. Um also keep in mind LSU's athletic director, Scott Woodward. He is a big game hunter, man. When he was at Washington, he got Chris Peterson away from Boise. When he was at AM, he hired Jimbo Fisher. Uh, since he's been at LSU, he hired Kim Mulkey, three-time national championship winning coach, away from Baylor to come coach LSU. Scott is smart and tactful and generally gets what he wants. And um, I'll be interested to see what direction this turns. And I will... I will say, you know, LSU has a new university president as well who just got in place in May. Uh, William Tate is his name and uh, came from South Carolina, incidentally. Um, and you know, President Tate is the first black president in the history of LSU. And it is something that is being certainly talked about in circles that he has a strong desire for this to be a legacy hire to the first minority head football coach at LSU. And I think there was a very real, uh, and, and not to say that that would ever be the only criteria sure. by which you make a, a hire, but 
I think there was a very real interest in, in making that happen, which you know, you're going to see uh, James Franklin, Mel Tucker, names prominently mentioned in this search. Now, it's mentioning a name and, and getting across the finish line and signing a contract or, or, or almost yeah. lifetimes apart, it seems, <laughs> sometimes. But but those are considerations um, with, with this job. But to the question, will it be a coordinator? Most certainly it will not. It, it will be someone with head coaching experience. What about for Matt Moscona, though? Like, what, Who's on your wish list? So I got to have to say, like, what's realistic, right? I mean, yeah. Nick Saban not – Nick Saban would Yeah, that's number one on everybody's wish list, yeah. Right. Um, you know, a name like Urban Meyer would fit the bill, but remember LSU has – a um, yeah, has the, the middle of this Title IX lawsuit. Yeah. I get the sense that this is going to be a squeaky clean hire, which would take guys like Hugh Freeze and Urban Meyer, and essentially, you know, scratch them off the list. Um, you know, for me, I think an offensive-minded coach with a proven track record as a head coach would be incredible, especially with someone who knew how to win in the SEC. So for me, I'd give you two names. I would tell you Lane Kiffin or James Franklin. I mean, either one yeah. of those guys. I mean. I'd almost walk to the airport to, to, to pick up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, I think either one of those guys would, would just, with the resources they would have here, would just crush it here. All right. And, qu- and quickly here, because I know you got a role. Uh, we're obviously home of Georgia uh, in Savannah. And I just got to get the outside opinion because we sit on here and talk every day. And they kind of have to pump me up because I'm always the pessimistic waiting for the other shoe to drop. But from the outside <laughs> looking in, how good is this Georgia team? Because I know the running joke had been since Kirby Smart got there, yeah, you're really good in the East, and then you'd go on a road game in the West and just get absolutely smacked. You think about uh, 2019 uh, against LSU and the SEC Championship and then 2018 at LSU where Georgia just got smacked in back-to-back games. But from the outside looking in, how good is this Georgia team? Uh, I can understand that that feeling actually because you got about forty years to validate it. Yeah. Um, but I, I, Georgia's the best team in the country by by a long, long shot. You know, I'm I'm curious how the narrative around Georgia might be different had Bama not rallied with Tua in seventeen. Um, you know, if Kirby had gotten him one and had beaten Nick, the whole assistant coach not to beat Saban narrative would be would have been over. And that a, anyway. This Georgia team in particular, especially to be doing it without JT Daniels and all the other guys that are injured. I mean, you guys know better than me, but I would assume at some point that that encyclopedia yeah, it's nuts. list of, of injured players, like some of those guys are going to be coming back. I know the, the defensive back, the All-American from uh, Tyke yeah, Smith. Yeah, Smith, yeah. I mean, I just look at Georgia and I go, they're only going to get better because they're going to get healthier. And, man, if, if someone stands in front of that freight train and stops it, I'll be surprised, especially in the year where it doesn't seem like there's a real contender. Yeah, it's uh, Georgia has, has been the one consistent we can rely on week in and week out. Uh, got a bye week with Florida coming up. Matt Moscona, 104.5 ESPN in Baton Rouge. Uh, after further review, you can listen to him from 3 to 6 Central Time. Uh, and you can follow him on Twitter at Matt, M-O-S-C-O-N-A. Matt, we really appreciate the time, man. Look forward uh, to watching LSU and what develops with them and hopefully talk to you again soon. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Great to be here on this Monday, Kevin and Ben. BJ will be back with us uh, tomorrow on the show, but Braves tomorrow as well. A little early evening baseball for you, 5 o'clock tomorrow out in L.A. Uh, Ben, 2-0. Braves are up again. Been in a similar situation. 
Got to finish the deal uh, against the Dodgers, but if they don't want to come back to Atlanta, going to have to do so in L.A. They'll have three games uh, this week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, there in Los Angeles to try to try to win two or it comes back to Atlanta. What a difference a year makes. I know, Kevin, last year we were talking about how because it was such a shortened season, it was the Braves like overachieving because it was a short season and you, you proved it this year. I mean, even though it was unorthodox in the way in which they was winning games, a new cast of characters, but – same result, and obviously it's these pesky Dodgers, right? Like if you think about this Braves team, they was like, look, I mean, I mean, it's not too often you're going to want, want which, which hundred and something win team would you like? Would you like the Dodgers or would you like the Giants? Uh, I'll take the Giants. I mean, I'll <laughs> take the Giants for 100, Alex. But I think that this Braves team, Kevin, in a sense, they wanted the Dodgers because they was like, look, I don't want to hear that who did you play to get there. No, we're playing the Dodgers. And this Dodgers team is always going to be good. You could take Clayton Kershaw off this team, but they're still – very, very good as they've proven to be uh, throughout the course of the year. But I think this Braves team is playing with a lot of confidence, a lot of poise, Kevin. And, you know, they're doing it in dramatic fashion. Like, once again, Freddie Freeman has not played well at all. Eight plate appearances, seven strikeouts, and they're up 2-0, which means that's got to be confident. That's got to feel good for him, Kevin. Not as not his performances, but knowing I don't have to be the end-all, be-all. I don't have to have my best stuff for us to go out there and get a win. This Dodgers team is not going to go quietly into the night, and if you've read, if you've been on Twitter and you've seen the beat writers and the fans, they 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 think the same. They think that, listen, man, we're going to tie this thing up, uh, you know, potentially, uh, you know, uh, these next couple of games. But if you're the Braves, you got to feel good going to L.A. Kevin because you took care of home field. Like, you took care of business two games at home, going up 2-0. And no matter what the Dodgers say, they know this isn't the same Braves team either. Like, look, saw these guys last year. Uh, that Ron Lacuna guy, I mean, he was incredible. He, he's not even here right now. And when you look at how different – you talked about it, Kevin, how different the outfield looks. And for these uh, for these guys that they got the trade deadline to still be there and still be playing well – I mean, just very, very impressed with this Braves team. Obviously, you know, they're only up two. And if you go back to last year, that that didn't seem to, uh, you know, bode well for the Braves end up losing that series. But I think you take it one game at a time. Game three is up next. You do not look past these Dodgers. They're going to give you all they can handle. But once again, Kevin, if the Braves play their best, if, they, if they're playing their best on offense and defense, how, da- how much more dangerous are they? Because you know, Jock Peterson, I don't think that ball, that ball still hasn't landed. That was a freaking moonshot. But – what gives me the most, uh, you know, confidence moving forward with this Braves team is they just like playing with each other, and they understand that, look, man, we're not saying we can't be beat, kind of like Alabama mentality. We're not saying we can't be beat, but you got to beat us. And Will Smith playing the way he's pitching, the way he's pitching right now, oh, man, that's probably been the surprise of the, uh, you know, of the postseason thus far. Yeah, and again, I, I think there's something to be said, uh, Ben, for this team. We talked about it for the first part of the year where they were kind of scuffling around. We're like, man. This Braves team has been so good, close and late. They're, they've been clutch for the last couple of years, best late-inning team in baseball. And, well, maybe that just the, the tide turns on you and it catches up with you after a while. Well, the first two games, they've been great clutch and in late. I mean, again, we I think we asked the question last week on the show, who's the most important guy uh, for the Braves? And I said Tyler Matzik and Luke Jackson. Well, who's been out there in this series trying to stim it? Uh, in the middle of the game to get to uh, to Will Smith, it's been Luke uh, Jackson and Tyler Magic. They've been fantastic, and the Braves are starting to show a little bit of that clutch and late magic. And maybe playing at home has something to do with it too. But that 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 late and close magic that they've had in the last couple of years under Brian Snicker, two walk off wins to get things started. Pitching has been phenomenal in the late innings, and to me, I think tomorrow night or tomorrow late early evening, whatever you want to call it. 
is is critical. You put the Dodgers down 3-0. I think that's so huge. You got Charlie Morton against Walker Buehler. Great pitching matchup. But if this Braves team can find a way to win, how huge is that? Because I, I think from my standpoint, and, you know, I don't believe in all the, all the Atlanta curse thing, but whatever. Yeah. I, I, bad stuff happens in sports. It's hard to believe, but it does. Uh, but to me, you just don't let a good team like the Dodgers up off the mat, right? Don't say, don't give them the opportunity to say, well, that was in Atlanta. Now we're in L.A. We're going to take care of our business one game at a time. We're going to get back in this thing. I think putting a team in a 3-0 hole, even if you don't win the other two, uh, is so huge from a momentum standpoint, from a psychological standpoint, because you're putting the Dodgers in a spot where they're like, we have to win four games in a row. And in the Braves, it's baseball. Anything can happen in a one-game setting where all you need is one. And we've seen that from this Braves team. They have been phenomenal clutching late here, especially in this series. If they go about three, Kevin, now, now that that's pressure on them Dodgers now. That's the one thing that, that the Dodgers really haven't had on their side outside of the fact that, you know, uh, what they had to deal with with them San Francisco Giants. I, th- I think that this Braves team, too, I think you said it, too, in, in sports, definitely in the playoffs, you suffocate your opponent. You don't give them any air. I mean, that that good sportsmanship is what you learn along the way. When you when you understand how hard it is to win in a professional sports and then to make it to the playoffs, it's prestigious. And then to have to get there against a team like the Dodgers, for which they've had their struggle trying to get to this point, finally got over the hump. When you're the Braves team, you're like, look, man, we let them up after we suffocated. We try to revive them after we knocked them out. You can't give them because that's a, that's how dangerous the Dodgers just need a little, just just a little bit of life, and then they'll take everything from you. I mean, what? I mean, it, it's um, once again. I mean, uh, you know, you think about that uh, that part of three hundred. I mean, give them nothing and take from them everything. You have to. And when you think about this Braves team, they play better with a cushion during the game. In a series, they're just a better team. The Braves play loose. The, Bla- the Braves play confident. But they got to play aggressive because if you go up 3-0, now how much more aggressive do that do that um, Dodgers team have to be, which leads to more mistakes? But I just like the Braves' chances, Kevin. I mean, I don't know how the culture is in L.A. I don't know how the culture is in Boston. I don't know how the culture is in Houston. I do know how it is in Atlanta. And these guys like playing with each other. These guys really enjoy you know, uh, I think Ronald Cunha being the truest part last night just to show that, ladies, man, I am healthy again. Yeah. And they're doing this without him. So, if you're Ronald, and you would love him to be there. But, yeah, Kevin, not missing a beat. And if, if they can go up by three, oh, my goodness, what does that do for this Braves team that, once again, throw, you know, run out your best pitcher game four. We'll see who that's going to be as of as of right now. But got to take care of game three. Do not look – because if you give this Dodgers team life, you won't, you won't even realize that you was up too old with how good this team is. Yeah, and again, this is a Dodgers team. And again, you say, well, why are you sounding so you know shaky up to nothing? I mean, well, this is still a Dodgers team that won 106 games. They won almost 20 more games than you did uh, in the Atlanta Braves. And I know that could be for a number of reasons, but this is a good ball club. And this is a team that has the pedigree. Uh, you, know, you talk about those Atlanta Braves teams that made – uh, the playoffs 14 straight years in a row. Uh, people didn't want to play the Braves in the postseason because they knew they were they're going to be a tough out. They they've been there, they've been through some of the battles, and down 0-1, 0-2, they weren't going to panic. I mean, you said something last week. Hey, Tennessee Titans, you finally got to the postseason, and you panicked when you got there, right? This is a Dodgers team that's not going to panic. 0-2, whatever. It's back in L.A. We'll go win this one, and now we're only down a game, and that's nothing. You know, and so I think that's their kind of approach that they're taking. And, uh, again, if I'm Atlanta, you take every opportunity you can uh, to try to put them down 3-0 and really put the pressure on them because now, as you said, you can afford to set up your pitching to get one game. Uh, whereas, you know, if it wasn't that way, maybe you pitch Max Freed on less than full rest. Maybe you have to do some things. Uh, you win tomorrow night, 
and you go up 3-0, you maybe give Max Fried an extra day off and say, we'll give you another day's rest, and then we're really going to go after it uh, there in, in Game 5 on Thursday with our best guy on full rest, uh, or as close to it, ready to go uh, to try to put this thing away. So huge game tomorrow for the Atlanta Braves, no question. We've got so much more to get to here on the show. I know, Ben, uh, you got something, you know, teams maybe flirting a little bit with trying to uh, knock down Ben Troop. Thanks for making us a part of your day. And uh, Ben's rocking the Braves hat as he does. Actually, you went with the uh, Park Ranger hat there for a while. Now you've uh, you've switched back up to the uh, to the Braves. All right, I'm not going to accuse you of putting your front-running shoes on because you have worn the Braves hat well before this. Yes. But the Braves obviously uh, back in it. You switched to the Braves hat. Maybe Ben is the reason we're getting all these clutch uh, hits. Uh, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, no. no. I, I, I will say this. Uh, if you see me in a – if you see me in a uh, – any type of like any hat other than my my park ranger hat, it's only gonna be a Braves hat, and and I don't. It, it always been like that for me. I've always only really worn Braves hats because I've been blessed enough to live all over, live in Tennessee, live in California, lived up north, and it's always why Braves, why Braves, and I'm always saying this, why not? Like, like I understand that the New York Yankees hat is very, very like you know iconic, you know Jay Z and Alicia Keys and sung New York, but I listen, I love the Braves. I mean, I, I don't, I make no, I make no. You know, no excuses about it, Kevin. I'm just like, I, my fandom for the Braves, I keep it down. I, I mean, I became a Braves fan because of my grandfather. I mean, my grandfather told me growing up, look, I said, Granddaddy, what, what's something you never do? He said, you never, ever go against the Braves. Never, never. <laughs> you don't go against. And, and the thing is, Kevin, how spoiled are we, though? Like, when you think about, like, what the Braves mean to us, I mean, you grew up on Bobby Cox, man. Like, man, I, Bobby Cox getting thrown out to us was normal. It's When he did get thrown out, it was normal. Bobby tonight. Like he ain't so to watch this Braves team over the years, Kevin, finally get over the hump with a guy in Alex Anthopoulos who, let's face it, I had my questions marked too when he got hired. You hired within the organization with Snit, who had already been there for 40 years, and look at what they're doing. If this Braves team has been ahead of schedule since Snit got there, if they can get they can beat this Dodgers team. And I'm not saying if they beat the Dodgers, that means they're gonna beat the winner of Houston or Boston. But man, they beat this Dodgers team, Kevin. My goodness, man! I might have to, I might have to wear this Braves hat for the rest of the year <laughs> if they do that. But no, but shout out to them Braves though, finding a way to get it done, Kevin. And it's not like I'm not saying nobody is a slouch, but if you beat the Dodgers, yeah. man, your team is equipped to beat almost anybody in the major. Well, that's what I, I, I when we were talking about last week said, hey, who do you want, Dodgers or Giants? And somebody said, hey, well, to be the be the man, you got to go through, you got to beat the man. And the Dodgers right now have been that that team that everybody's chasing in the National League. So there is some kind of gratification you will get. If the Braves are able to do that, not gonna lie, and I, I, I go way back before, not too far back, but I go back before Bobby Cox. I got, you know, when I was a young kid, I believe uh, um, Joe Torre was actually the manager for wow. a hot minute. Chuck so, Tanner, and Joe, and Joe Torre played for the Braves. Yeah, I think. Chuck Tanner was the manager. I think uh, Ted Turner got to manage for one game. If, if you ever read that story, that's a whole other thing. But uh, yeah, then you get into Bobby Cox era, where you know I'm at that time. I'm hitting there in middle school, high school, and the Braves finally win a World Series. It's uh, it's unbelievable, and you know, you try to pass that along to people, and you know, you talk about what it means. Like, my kids ask me all the time. They, my, and it's funny. My youngest son said this other. He goes, "So wait, 
So the Braves have only won the World Series one time since you've been alive. I said, you got it, bud. So you better enjoy it if it happens because you never know. I mean, it's like, you know, you just don't know what we happens. Ain't, we, ain't, we ain't Cubs fans, but it, it, ain't, it ain't that big of a difference. Yeah. It's, it's, been, it's, been, it's been rough. It's but, been the rough. Cu- but the Cubs, in their big drought, have won. They have. They've they won have, more. They they've won as much as the Braves they had. Have, the the have. Red Sox, who the, were. The Braves were very, very consistent in the, in the early 90s, Kevin. Trying to trying to get them them, them, 20, them 2020s and 21s back to that back to them the, dynasty years. Shoot, the, the, the dog on Marlins fans have had more World Series championships than the Braves have had. That's a, that's that's tough. It is. I mean, I, I don't the like, Braves I don't, have won way more, but not the. Not I don't the, like giving credit to these other fan bases, but hey, Braves, come on, man, let's get let's let's get one man so we so that trash talking can go up to another level. Yeah, absolutely. We we will uh, we'll celebrate right here with you. We'll have Braves baseball tomorrow, three fifty uh, pregame coverage for Game Three there from Los Angeles. So first pitch just after uh, five o'clock uh, tomorrow. We'll have of course full coverage for you right here. We've also got. Uh, Game three of Red Sox and the Astros coming up tonight. So that should be a whole lot of fun. Uh, that series tied up at a game apiece. We'll have that coming up tonight, 7.30, pregame first pitch just after uh, 8 o'clock. So uh, looking forward to it. Hopefully we get uh, some good Brave stuff to talk about later in the week. Appreciate Chris Gordy, Locked On SEC Podcast, for joining us, uh, Ben. Also, Brooks Austin joins us every Monday, Dogs Daily on SI. Of course, Georgia, Florida got the bye week this week before the cocktail party there in Jacksonville. Looking forward to it, Ben? Or- I am <laughs> looking forward to it, Kevin, because at the end of the day, I, ex- I expect anything but good news. I, I expect the unpredictable. But Dan Mullen, hey, man, sh- show up one time in your life, is what, which is what I say every every freaking week. Yeah, and you got the uh, Georgia, Ben's uh, uh, Florida and Georgia Legends Series coming up next week from the Westin as well. Make your plans to join us on a Friday night week of the game. We'll see you tomorrow here on 3 and Out.